Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area. Your daily show prep begins now. Why, hello, it is 2 minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 5. And this is the month of May in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming along and making it part of your listening day. Live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of Rock 101 KUFO, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Rick Emerson Radio Show, an excursion into whimsicality. Uh, it is Wednesday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503-228-4101 on this uh, Wednesday morning. 503 228 4101. If you would like to join us telephonically, you can also email if you like. It is rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at kufo.com. Tim at kufo.com. Or nibbler at kufo.com. Uh, coming up within this hour, CNN Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us about the missing link, which I have to confess I don't really understand. That's one of those things that... It's one of those things that everybody sort of nods sagely at and they smile during conversation of this story, but I don't really know what it means. I mean, I guess I know what it means, but I don't understand what we know that we didn't know before exactly. It's, the whole thing is very confusing to me because last night they were showing on, uh, I think it was CNN on Anderson Cooper, they were showing this whole this chain of events sort of over the course of human evolution, and they were showing... A series of versions of this, you know, of a, like a fossil or a skeleton. And they're saying, well, here, you know, we're like one-celled organisms that crawled out of the ocean. And here's Anderson Cooper at the other end, fashionably attired and with perfectly coiffed hair. And there's a series of developments in between. But what didn't make any sense to me was, imagine you have sort of a series of skulls sitting on a desk, right? And the series of skulls is the series of human evolution. There's ten skulls, and one is, is like primitive Neanderthal caveman guy, and the other one is Anderson Cooper. Not like Anderson Cooper's actual skull. But there's a series of skulls on the desk. Doesn't it seem like there's always spaces between the skulls? Like, how do you know you found the final space? This is all very confusing to me. And I kept asking these questions at the television last night, and then I couldn't, you know, by the end of it, I just felt no smarter than I was at the beginning. So... Perhaps Steve Kastenbaum will uh, illuminate us today because it's all uh, it's all very perplexing. I don't like to be perplexed. We'll also talk to uh, Peter Carlin from The Oregonian. He'll be joining us later on in the 6 o'clock hour. Joel Hodgson of Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic fame. Today coming up at uh, 8 o'clock. We're giving away a, uh, another copy of the Max Fleischer Superman collection on DVD, ladies and gentlemen. The Max Fleischer Superman 1941-1942 two-disc collection. On DVD. And uh, last but not least, we're joined today as always by the lovely and talented Sarah X. Dillon, who can... Uh, who so, can what? Well, I, I don't even know if we should start alluding to the uh, to the mystery guest. I think we should. Greg and I were really excited about it. So, if you heard, if you heard yesterday's show, you heard us play uh, about, I don't know, 90 seconds of an interview that uh, production assistant extraordinaire Greg Nibbler did with MC Hammer. At the Consumer Electronics Show, at which Hammer was inexplicably present earlier this year. And i got to say, he did a pretty good job pulling it off for having no... Really, from going going from one place, which is, I have no idea that I'm going to be talking to MC Hammer, to about 30 seconds later going to, hey, I'm talking to MC Hammer. 
And I mean, I, I really admire the ability with which he was able to pull that off. So today we're going to have a variation on that where there will be a guest presented to me with only 30 seconds warning. And then I have to do, we'd say two minutes or three minutes? Uh, two or three, either. Let's say three. All right. Three is a nice rounded number. So I'm going to be obliged to do a three-minute interview with a guest uh, about whom I have no knowledge with only 30 seconds warning about the guest and their subject. So, all right. That's so, going to be genius. That's coming up. Of course it is, Sarah. We don't deliver anything but genius here. All right, let's pay a visit to the news desk with your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Good morning. It's 5.07. It's going to be partly cloudy today. Highs near 70 degrees. Road rage leads to a stabbing in the Jack in the Box parking lot at Northeast 57th and Sandy last night. An eyewitness is shocked at the ruthlessness of the attack. An argument between two guys at a nearby intersection spills into the parking lot. One of them lunges at the other's kids before whipping on a box cutter and stabbing the dad before taking off. Jesus. Yeah. A tipster leads the cops to the suspect's house. You know where he lives? Northeast 82nd and Prescott, <laughs> where they, they haul even, him awry. Why, why do they even bother looking anywhere mm-hmm. else? Then more than 200 cops swoop down and arrest 23 people. I guess they were outnumbered. This on drug charges throughout Washington County. 13 search warrants issued in Hillsborough, Beaverton, Loa, and Cornelius. I thought you meant they arrested 23 people on 82nd, like as they went to get the stabbing no, no, we're, guy. We're the, talking, this is Washington County. Totally right. separate. All right. Uh, Washington's unemployment rate is leveled off to 9.1%. That beats Oregon's 12%. At least 300 students at Renton's Lindbergh High School missed school yesterday due to flu-like symptoms. Extra cleaning people were hauled in to give the school there a good scrubbing. $18 million has to be kept from the Portland school budget in the coming year. What does that mean? 15 fewer days of school, kids. But also 210 teachers will have to be laid off. 210. I mean... Does it mean they double up in the classrooms, or what happens? I don't know, but that's a lot of teachers. A New Jersey man's accused of defecating on the walls of his jail cell. According to the Courier Post of Jersey, Jason DeTora's girlfriend was arrested on drunk driving charges in the parking lot of a bar when she went to help him pay his bar tab. Well, he was taken with her to the police station as a courtesy so he could get a ride home, but then caused havoc in the bathroom. Officials say he torched toilet paper but also used his feces to draw on the wall. I wasn't, oh, I wasn't really expecting the story to unfold that way. Although, given the headline about the defecating at the wall, I wasn't... Well, his girlfriend, Nicole Leadbeater, is facing drunk driving charges. Huh. Okay. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. What better way to uh, what better way to start the day? It is 503-228-4101. More on those stories and the rest of your world. Coming up, uh, coming up today. Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and uh, Cinematic Titanic fame. Peter Carlin and the Rick Emerson mystery guest. It's all on the way. This is the Rick Emerson Show. It is uh, Wednesday morning. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show. And it's just waiting for instructions from its creator before actually spawning. The Rick Emerson Show returns. The Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-228-4101. That is our telephone number this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming along. All right. Coming up later on, Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic, as well as Peter Carlin from The Oregonian and the Rick Emerson Mystery Guest. Without further ado, let us welcome to the show... From New York City, man of the world and CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Steve Kastenbaum. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. 
Not at all, Steve. It's always our pleasure. How's life in the big city? Life is great because today, uh, yesterday was one of those days where it's actually enjoyable to be in New York climate-wise. And again, today, it's going up to the upper 70s, near 80 degrees. Uh, now, I don't know, but did I forward this uh, to you guys, Tim and Sarah? Did I forward you the picture of Steve Kastenbaum that was sent to me? You oh, did. with Larry King hunched over like that? <laughs> you you Yes, hunched over maybe isn't the phrase that I would have gone to immediately as defining the picture. But yes, it was a picture of uh, of you and, and Larry King. Yes, I put it on my Facebook and I wrote a comment to Brooklyn Jewish radio guys who would have ever thunk it. Now, is this from is this a recent photograph or was this from some uh, some previous occasion? He was here in the studio for about an hour yesterday doing some promotion for his new book, uh, My Re- My Remarkable Life, I think it's called, that- and he. Um, he, it's basically his memoirs uh, for the past, uh, well, 50 years or so, more or less, of his radio and, and television career. You know, I love Larry King, but isn't this like the ninth time that he's written his memoirs? <laughs> it's pretty ama- I don't know, but it, it is pretty amazing when you think about it. Cause that, that, did you ever listen to his overnight national radio oh, yeah. show that he used to have that Absolutely. made him famous? Absolutely. Uh, it was, uh, it, I used to listen to that. It would. I. I don't even remember now what the actual hours were, but it seemed like it was on all night. I mean, it seemed like basically like any time the sun went down, the mutual broadcasting system, whoever it was at that point, would put Larry King on the overnights. It was. I think it was like midnight to five or yeah. six a.m. Something like that. And what was great about his show was that he interviewed everybody from like Frank Sinatra uh, to, you know, uh, utility workers who were working overnight in the street. He'd call them in and 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 just do an interview with an everyday guy. You know. And that was what was so cool about it. And I realized that, you know, Larry King, I know his television show is successful and everything, but he's still really a radio guy at heart. When I heard him doing all the press with the different radio stations on our network, uh, I realized that, you know, he's really a radio guy. And he, he was so funny in telling his stories. He's a pro. He really is. And people uh, sort of forget. I mean, we poke fun of Larry King because he's, you know, he's Larry King. You can't. It's like a rule. You have to. And, but people forget how how much he has done and how long he was on the radio. And I, I remember listening to that show and I was, you know, I, I was a kid at the time, but I was, you know, I was one of those uh, kids who just had the radio glued to his, his head all the time because I just found the whole thing so fascinating. And I do remember that occasionally, and there seemed to be no rhyme or reason to it, although in retrospect there probably was. It was just a pattern I couldn't identify at the time. But occasionally I would go to bed and here's, you know, this like other kids go to bed. They're like, I can't wait to get up and play the big game tomorrow. I can't wait to be like, I couldn't wait to go to bed so I could listen to the Larry King radio show. That's what an exciting child I was. But I would go and I would put on my like my, my Walkman or whatever. And I would put on the headphones and occasionally I would tune in and it wouldn't be Larry King. It would be, wait for it, Jim Bohannon. Oh, and he's still there. And Jim Bohannon he just signed again. He's really. Yeah, he's on his way to becoming the uh, the new Paul Harvey. I mean, he's just been there for like 50 years. But Jim Bohannon, was, he was sort of the Joan Rivers uh, to Larry King's Johnny. And that always was a, just a tremendous letdown to me. But then I, I consoled myself with the idea that wherever Larry King was at that time, if he wasn't doing the radio show that night, he was off doing something uh, fantastic with a dame on each arm. Like he, right, exactly. He sort of seemed to exist in this weird uh, 1940s New York of just like automat and polished brass fixtures everywhere. So You know, Excellent. it's funny. As soon as he got in here and got on the radio, he fell right back into that. And we started talking about old Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, he and I started – I mean, I wasn't around when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn, but I still have this affinity for the Dodgers because they were the Brooklyn team. And he started talking about it. When he heard where I lived, he's like – you're just a few blocks away from where they were going to build the Dodgers Stadium on Flatbush Avenue. <laughs> I can, And Larry King, just my final thought on Larry King here, doesn't he totally seem like a guy who would do this where you are speaking with him, and at some point 
he would take out a small slip of paper and he would scribble something and he'd go, now look, I know you like an egg cream. So I'm this guy's name is Jonas. Now I want you to go here. Now you tell him that I sent you and you are going to get the best egg cream of your life, bar none. And then he would just take the piece of paper and tuck it into the front of your shirt pocket and then say, all right, now you have a good day. You know, I mean, just a guy who knows everybody everywhere and who knows, you know, he knows the racket. He knows how it's run. Excellent. He started doing that, actually, because we started talking about... Of course about, he did. Uh, which, ...which bay at Brighton Beach you actually went to in the summer. You know, it's divided up into bays. And uh, and, and we started talking about that. Which Kanish guy you went to <laughs> in, in Brighton Beach. Yes. That is wonderful. <laughs> well, I'm going to skip the obvious joke. Let's, uh, let's move from Larry King to an ancient fossil, Steve Kastenbaum. Uh, and that is the... So this is this missing link story that Tim had yesterday as, as breaking news. And it... Look, I like to think that I'm, I'm maybe sharper than certain other knives in the drawer, but I was watching the, the coverage of this last night. It's not, Let's be clear about this. It's not that I disbelieve in evolution, certainly not. I mean, it, it's scientific evidence, you look around the world, that seems to be how things work, and that's fine. But it's just that I'm trying to figure out how this all functions, because it seems to me, not unlike Larry King having written his memoirs eight or nine times by now, it seems to me like we hear this, they found the final missing link story about every five years where they claim that, like, they found the final piece of fossil evidence that proves once and for all, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the chain of evolution. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, what sets this one apart. Well, you know what it is? There are a lot of missing links, because when you, when you look at how far apart the fossils are that we have, or, or that scientists have, you know, there are millions of years uh, in gaps in time between them. So they find this one. Some guy actually found it in a, a, a former mine area in Germany, near Frankfurt, Germany, in the mid-'80s, and didn't realize the significance of it, and it was kept in a private collection, but then it went up for sale. And these guys realized that what they had there. It's like two feet long from tail to nose. It's like a small monkey about the size of a cat, and it's 45 million years old. No, I'm sorry, 47 million years old, the oldest, most intact uh, primate fossil that we that we have ever seen, and I will let uh, Dr. Jorn Hurum of the University of Oslo tell you what is so special about this. The first thing that struck me about this specimen was the foot. Look at that opposable big toe. It's 90 degrees to the rest of the uh, the specimen of the of the toes. It's it's just wonderful. Wait, but he's excited about more things. She's got. Fingertips like we do. Small, small fingertips with nails, not claws, like you should expect from a more primitive animal. I could listen to that guy talk for hours. That's fantastic. And what I was just thinking is I myself am not terribly bright about most things, but, you know, that guy clearly is, and I'm glad that there are guys out there uh, who who have the intelligence and the willpower to just sit around and think about uh, stuff like this all day because it just... Because my tiny brain just gets overwhelmed so immediately with things of a scientific nature sometimes. It really does It, it does fill me with, with confidence, and I feel a little bit better about things, that guys like that are on the case, you know? Yeah, and, and uh, they were working on this fossil in secret for two years, and uh, they had a whole television crew documenting it for an upcoming documentary. And those guys had to sign this, uh, you know, this form swearing that they wouldn't let let out the secret that they had found this, and they were working on it, and then they revealed it, uh, you know, yesterday. I love the idea that it's it, uh, it's this massive scientific find, and it's important, it's valuable, and it's as you said, the oldest intact primate uh, fossil we've ever found, and that some guy had just found it and stuck it in a bag a long time ago. I, pretty, uh, pretty 
much. I just, I'm fascinated by this. It's like, you know, you always hear about that guy that goes and buys a Jackson Pollock for 15 cents at a yard sale or something. Yeah, uh, I'm always envious of those folks on the uh, the Antique Road Show. Yeah. All right, fantastic. I feel like I had to close this out with another Larry King reference, but I I I really I don't. I I will just say this. Oh, and Tim, of course, just left the room, but Tim is able to, uh, with just astonishing, um, astonishing skill, to replicate the satellite beeping noise that the mutual broadcasting system once used that would take you to a commercial break inside the Larry King Show. Oh, Tim. As we kind of close out this segment, can you please not to replicate for us, as though we were listening to the Larry King radio show on the Overnight Mutual Network, the satellite commercial cue tone? Oh, and he, this is Mutual, the world's largest radio network. Beep-doop. All right, excellent. Thank you, Steve Kastenbaum. See you. Take care. All right, there you go. It is 503-228-4101. Excellent. Fantastic. You know, when CNN took that, I, I was there the last day. Uh, I was on the air the last day of Mutual, which CNN took over. And even though Mutual became CNN on the same satellite channel, they did keep the B-dupes, but really? I, I'm not sure if they're still there. I, You know, I had to find one of those just so I can make it, like, not my ringtone as such because it's too short, but, like, my new email sounder or something. So I got that. Or, like, text message or something. Yeah. It's a, see, that would be so that'd be great. Uh-huh. That's, uh, you know, that that would be one of those things that uh, that would serve its purpose. But every now and again, you'd come across somebody who knew what that sound was, and that would be awesome. It is the Rick Emerson Show. Tim Riley, what uh, headlines will we have uh, extrapolated into stories for the people after this? So Washington State's unemployment rate is 9.1, lower than Oregon's, but Clark County's is worse than both at 13.4%. That's twice as much as it was last year. Uh, Longview teenagers are terrorizing their city, and a Pullman man is beaten after urinating on what he thought was an empty car. Wow. That's all on the way. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Whose eyeballs am I going to pick out? On Rock 101 KUFO. That's a little creepy. Oh, by the way, I still have an entire folder of, uh, of show excerpts that uh, Brent has, has pulled for some more of those rejoin liners. We'll go through those at some point. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-228-4101. Coming up uh, today, we'll be giving away that... Uh, it's not the final set. I guess we've got that today. And one more, the set of Max Fleischer Superman DVDs are from 1941-1942. That's on the way. Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic uh, coming up. Peter Carlin from The Oregonian and Mystery Guest. So now, about the Mystery Guest. So is this... Because here's how we did this yesterday. So, uh, so Greg Nibbler, we, we we played back this interview he had done with MC Hammer, with, that he'd had no time to prep for because they just he was at the Consumer Electronics Show and hey look there's MC Hammer we've got this uh, you know we and we've got or a microphone Hammer. I'm sorry there's Hammer we you know we have a microphone we we should go over and interview him and just so you know sort of get it on tape it, so he didn't know he was going to be interviewing Hammer Hammer didn't know he was going to be interviewed so it really was just. It, it was just like the, the the greatest mixture of circumstances, but the interview actually went pretty well. So I think inspired by that. So what is it? You guys went through the radio TV interview report yesterday, yes. which is the sort of terrible magazine they send out to radio shows everywhere. That's where we found like Johnny and me and like the, a bunch of those random interviews. The Gacy right? guy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just I mean, it's just filled with completely uninteresting, non-compelling interviews of every variety. And so I'll be given 30 seconds notice about who the guest is and about what they are speaking. And Greg and, and I took a lot of time to pick this guest out, so I think right. you're going you're gonna to really like him. And then i got to do three minutes on it you know, and really sort of make it work as an interview with no actual preparation beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right, I can do that. At the news desk, ladies and gentlemen, this is your personal savior, Tim Wright. 
In the news with Tim Riley. Breaking news. Michael Vick has been released from prison in Leavenworth. He'll now finish the final two months of his 23-month federal sentence on dogfighting charges under home confinement in Virginia. As part of that probation, he'll work for a construction company. Indications are that starting today, Vick will hit the ground with a training program designed to get him reinstated in the NFL. In 2007, he was suspended indefinitely by Commissioner Roger Goodell. We'll have the final word on whether or not he can come back. Say there was a fire in our neighborhood last night. This happened at 2221 Southwest 1st Avenue, one of the high-rises. It was a third-floor apartment. It was put out quickly, and nobody was injured. So that's actually, so that's just, I, I say that way, pointing towards the CD rack back of the studio. It's it, over it's there. towards the CD rack. <laughs> it's over there by the Airborne record. Um no, so that's uh, so that is where our uh, our uh, program director emeritus Bruce Agler used to live. Is that not uh, it's sort of in that general direction? Yes. All right. One of those high rises you see them all everywhere. Fifty-one uh, year old Salem has been killed by a road grader. Chris Fellman found dead after being run over by the machine after he tried to jump off and it slipped off of South Fork Road. A golden eagle is dead after flying into one of those wind turbines in Goldendale. This is the first recorded fatality at the Portland-based Pacific Corp facility. Golden eagles aren't a threatening species or a threatened species, so there are plenty more of them out there. Two Spokane area teens face federal charges after allegedly paying for turtle food with counterfeit cash. The young lady Miranda Smith told the cops she had 35 fake $100 bills and used them at the other stores. Her accomplice's name is Sunny Woods. Spelled S-O-N-N-I-E, Woods. Here's a weird thing about, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about Photoshop, which is the, you know, the, the popular program from Adobe, which yeah. allows you to uh, manipulate images of all varieties. Did you know this? Did you know that if you uh, scan in uh, America, and this is, not like a, this is not like a conspiracy thing, because he showed it to me on his computer. He actually, he actually, because it's one of those things you hear about, and you kind of wonder if it's just some, some crap that is, you know, people, you know, the people just say. But he actually showed this to me. On his uh, on his laptop, that if you scan money into Adobe Photoshop and you try to print it, there's a huge warning window that comes up and it won't let you print it. And it says, huh. "Hey, by the way, you can do whatever you want with this image. You can change it. You can alter it, but we're not going to let you print it out. So have fun." And that's sort of creepy. Like, how does Adobe Photoshop know what money is? You know, like if you just scan it into your computer, how mm-hmm. does your computer recognize that it's money? And how does Adobe Photoshop know that it's money? And how is it that that warning is? How is it that warning is there? And then that makes you wonder, like, what other computer programs uh, do you have that secretly have been the, you know, they've been, I mean, they've been sort of augmented in some way to recognize when you were trying to print certain things. That was kind of, I mean, and I'm not a guy. It's a little creepy. And I mean, I don't even really know that it's a conspiracy. A conspiracy implies that it's sort of hidden and nobody knows about it. This is this is the opposite of a conspiracy. This is just like a, a big actual warning sign from the government saying, "Don't do this." Um, it was all very strange. So counterfeiting seems to be one of those things that is just pointless at this juncture, right? Because like the government technology is just so far uh, ahead of of whatever it, some. Where was this at? That the counterfeiting happened? Uh, Spokane? Spokane Valley. So how much is turtle food really? Well, and, and I mean, really, of all of the places where you are not going to find the brain power or technology to engage in successful counterfeiting, I mean, Spokane is like at the top of that list. So just uh, just stay at home, friend. All right, he's Tim Riley. So we have new rules for auto emissions and uh, whatnot. President Obama rolled out new fuel efficiency and emission standards yesterday at a White House event. It was very historic. We have set in motion a national policy aimed at both increasing gas mileage and decreasing 
greenhouse gas pollution for all new trucks and cars sold in the United States of America. This press conference taking place inside an aviary. That's what it sounded like. So the new rules are cars will have to have 35.5 miles per gallon minimum. That's uh, 10 miles per gallon more than today's standard. Passenger cars will be required to get 39 miles per gallon. Light trucks, 30 miles per gallon. So there are already complaints like uh, from people like Dixie Bishop, who runs a plumbing uh, service in Texas. So they're going to take my horsepower away. I have to carry all water heaters and toilets. It's not beneficial for me to haul one toilet at a time. I have three things to say. First of all, back on that Obama soundbite where there's just birds chirping everywhere. Yes. When you're like in your mind's eyes, you're hearing him speak. Don't you just picture him standing uh, like in a garden somewhere, bedecked in a robe, and there's just sort of. And then he's and he's just like Mary Poppins, where there's just birds coming down and landing on his hands, and he's sort of beaming uh, confidently at the camera. Um, secondly, and doves fly out of his sleeves. <laughs> Like, just sort of a Joe... At 35 miles per gallon, and then the doves start flying. Some sort of a Joe Bluth meets John Woo kind of a thing. Mm. So, um, secondly, toilets and water heaters. Um, secondly, is this an actual... So they're saying this. Here's the thing with Obama. It, I can't quite tell if he's... If he's serious? Well, if he's actually getting a lot done, or if he just goes on camera and sort of waves his hands around... And makes it seem like he's getting a lot done because he mentions a lot of things. But it's like, are these things actually, in other words, so he's mentioning this, but is this actually going to be a law? Yes. Now, do we? These will be laws. These are the new rules. But, I mean, were they were they passed by the Congress? Well, let me see here. Uh, the high mileage, they have been set by the Obama administration. So these are the new rules. So, yes, it's a done deal. All right. I guess I don't know. There's that whole how a bill becomes a law thing. But then I'm, I'm unclear on what the White House can just tell people they have to do. And then they, they well, have now to that do. we're giving them all these loans, they have to play into our hands. Oh, that's true. I guess if we're. See I, what I mean? No, I guess that's the thing. So I guess if, we, if we are the de facto owners of the car company, then I guess that they have to kind of do and, what they And say. here's the other reason for it. Toyota's ahead of everybody. Yeah, well, that's. They, the, they plan to launch as many as 10 new hybrid models worldwide by 2010. And this actually brings me back to my final question, which is, if we're going to mandate that, what do you say, like passenger cars have to get 30 miles to the gallon or something? Well, we're mandated to be like the Japanese before they beat us again. <laughs> this Basically, is, it's what it comes down to. We really just are one, one weird... We drag our feet while the world passes us by. One, one, one big technology treadmill in this country. Um, we're about every 10 years, we are passed by the same companies in the same technologies. But then this seemed like, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, cars got way more than that yeah but but then they they had to put all these new safety things in them and therefore they weren't able to get the mileage that and now apparently we have the technology so don't ask me somebody's lying somewhere i was gonna say it makes no sense because it seems and i'm not trying to be like you know the things were better when i was a kid or whatever but well, I, don't you remember tucker a man in his dream it's yes. still the same thing now yes i do tim um it just seems that I, and this is all because I, uh, this is all because I watched way too much television as a kid. It seems like I would be sitting there watching that sale of the century game show, and they would be touting the virtues of some automobile they were going to be giving away, and they would say something like, you know, gets thirty-eight miles in the city, and I mean that was yeah. like twenty years ago. So I don't understand how it is the technology has somehow slipped so poorly in this country that now our cars get less, you know, get fewer miles to the gallon than they used to. This is like the missing link thing. I just need. To, I want that guy, that Indian scientist or whatever, to come in and just explain everything to us today. All right, let's do uh, uh, one more here. And then well, we maybe he can explain this to you. This is the first time we see something this complete, this old, that's a relative of, our, of ourselves. Usually, uh, when paleontologists study early primates, uh, you find maybe single teeth or maybe single toe bones. Primates. We, we, 
we stu- primates is the programs of the uh, of the archaeology and uh, evolutionary world. At well, he's the, he's the new missing link guy. Do we uh, not him personally? Of course. Do, yeah. Where do we know wh- who uh, who he is? What I mean, what kind of accent is that? Who he he is? Uh, let's see here. He's from the University of Oslo in Norway. He's paleontologist Jorn Horum. Please tell me that there's either an umlaut or one of those things where there's like an O with a slash to the middle of it. First name, J-O-R-N. Second name, H-O-R-U-M. Jon Horum. Jon Horum. All right, can you play that soundbite one more time? I have a second one. All right, fantastic. The nickname is Ida, and that's my daughter, and she's nearly six years old. So that's why we made that nickname. Oh, he named the he named the dead fossil after his daughter. See, I thought everything went back to. Do you remember when they found he that? He gets to do it. You remember when they found that fossil that uh, uh, that Lucy fo- fossil many years ago, like maybe twenty twenty five years ago? No, you know what I'm no, talking about? No. They found a fossil in Ethiopia, and they named it Lucy because they were listening to Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds at the time. And at the, the that was what I was asking Castamem about because remember then when they found this Lucy that they're like, this is it, this is the final definitive proof. It's like about every it's like about every five years. You know what it is? Here's what I think it is. I think it is a well-meaning but misguided effort to convince people who don't believe in evolution. You know what I mean? Like, they keep digging up more, so to speak, digging up more and more of these fossils, and they keep saying, look, it, it's really true. Ever, come on, it, it, look, I mean, there's science at work here. Please believe Well, unless this. they did up in Tennessee, nothing's going to change. That's... The- Right, that's that's exactly it. It's like unless James Dobson goes on television and you know it holds up a thigh bone and jiggles it for everybody. I mean, clearly there's just going to be a whole series of people who just choose uh, choose to believe differently. Right. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, straight ahead we have uh, more news from Tim Riley as well as Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic. Uh, we also talk to Lisa Desjardins from CNN Radio on Capitol Hill. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Wednesday morning. It is Rock 101 KUFO. Shane Company, off Highway 217, across from the Washington Square Mall. Open weekdays till 8, Saturday and Sunday till 5, online at shaneco.com. KUFO, Portland. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101. Got ink in my hands. No, uh, you know. Here, how could, Here's a question. You know the whole business about the, the 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 watch pot never boils or whatever the hell that is. Or, you know the tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it. All that crap. Why is it that you never see the pen leaking onto your hands? Oh no, it, it's happened to me. I had to get rid of my pen, the one that you gave me. The uh, this, that, this that, pen right that here, toity pen. Yeah, the, the Pilot Precise V5 RT. Did it leak all over too? me? It got on my face. It was in my eyes. Oh. It was in, like, and everything I touched, it was like everywhere yesterday. You're sure you're talking it's about defective. a pen? It is a pen, not that mace. Thing. No, that thing. What do you mean it got in your eyes? How is that even possible? I looked in the mirror. It was like. <laughs> It was like on my eyelids. It was on my face. It was everything I touched was full of that ink yesterday. Like some calligraphic version of that guy from Poltergeist. Yeah. Just look in the mirror. Nah, there's ink everywhere. So and, the, and it's too bad because I love the pen. You love the pen when it's not exploding into your face and blinding you. Yes. <laughs> you know when it's when it's not flowing into my. Uh... And, and I gave it another chance, and it did the same thing. It was just all over my hands. And it's always when you have to shake hands with somebody. It's like, shake my filthy hand. <laughs> yes, I think the ink is still wet. Then wipe it on your white shirt. I'm glad I can help ruin your day. Nice to meet you at this exact moment. <laughs> well, then, 
Sorry. Uh, in any event, it's uh, the Rick Emerson Show. Coming up in this hour for the Oregonian, Peter Carlin will be uh, joining us, uh, ladies and gentlemen, with a, uh, a new installment of his exciting, uh, his exciting series of observations titled Peter Carlin, Internet Browser. Oh, and I have to tell you, Seamus sent me um, what purports to be, which I haven't watched yet, a video of Peter Carlin interpretively dancing as a cat. Okay, see, somebody told me about that, but I don't know I don't know what that means. I mean, I guess I understand what all those words mean sort of in their component, you know, in their component sense, but I don't really know why how that all works together as an actual sentence. Why would Peter Carlin be doing it? First of all, let's take this in in waves. First of all, I don't know why Peter Carlin would ever be dancing, period, because he does seem like the not that look, there's guys who dance, there's guys like he who does don't. Yoga or, or something. He seems like he might be a little Okay, here's you know, he does he doesn't do yoga, but I do I, you know what Peter Carlin does do? Huh. He does spinning. And I don't know what spinning is, spinning but I spinning is like he does it. On an exercise bike. Okay, so but is it just by is it just cycling? It's cycling, but it's like like doing the standing up and down and like doing different kinds right. of. Um, uh, so I think I mean I don't think I'm giving away state secrets here. I think she said this, but Susan Reynolds is in the same spinning class as Peter Carlin, and so she will go and she'll do uh, she'll go and she works out in the afternoon and she'll go there. And I think she said that like nine times out of ten she ends up. And it's always like it's always when uh, how do I put this? Um, Susan is the uh, the marketing director for CBS Radio Portland. So there are times when one has something one wishes to tout, and there are times when one has something one wishes to, uh, you know, keep a little close to the vest, at least for the time being. And it's always on those uh, days that she goes to the spinning class and they put her right next to Peter Carlin. And he'll look over and he'll say, Susan Reynolds, hey, I have a question about that thing. And it's always like, it's always the thing she doesn't want to talk about that day. And she'll end up uh, just sort of right next to him. But, um... So I know he does that. He doesn't seem like a guy who dances, though, and he doesn't seem like a guy who does yoga either. Although oh, he totally looks like a yoga guy to me. Do you think like maybe he's one of those guys where he uh, where he maybe like wears his tivas in the morning after drinking his tea and then goes and does like stretchy yoga downward dog. He wears poses. what? Tivas. What are those? Like they're um, those like hippie sandals. Oh, I guess I could. I guess I could see this. I guess I could see. I guess I could see him being one of those Brian Wilson guys that you know embraces some I don't know some some path to inner enlightenment or something. Oh, totally. Which is strange because clearly Peter's a guy who's like trying to find some path to inner peace and relaxation, and it just seems pointless. He's a guy who obviously is never going to feel peaceful or relaxed ever at any time. I mean, that just seems like a, in my assessment that that seems like trying. a wasted amount of energy right there. <laughs> um, what were we talking about? So, so he apparently there's some video where Peter Carlin from the Oregonian is doing interpretive dance, but I didn't know it was as a cat. No, all right, I'll try and find it during the break, and then we should play it. When where would this on. even have existed? Like, why? Why would this have happened? I don't know. I, right. I do not know the backstory. All right, but it's been sent to you. It's been sent to me. I'm going to find it, and then we should play it. Fantastic. Tim Riley is uh, tracking the following headlines on your uh, uh, Wednesday morning. A DUI suspect on I five reaches speeds of 125 miles an hour in a Hyundai. That's what it says. Washington State's unemployment rate is 9.1, but Clark County has nothing to brag about. Theirs is 13.4. That's a lot more than that, and even more than all of Oregon's. A matter stabbed during a ruthless fight at the Jack in the Box parking lot on Northeast 57th. And Paula Abdul is telling this bizarre story that she survived a, a fiery plane crash. <laughs> awesome. We have sound. Are you sure she's not speaking metaphorically? No, no. She what? was allegedly in a plane. That crashed. She unbuckled her seatbelt and just walked away. It wasn't a fiery plane crash of drugs. It was a, a plane crash of, of a plane crash. And, and it was in Iowa, like the day the music died. All right. Uh, just my, my, final, uh, my final observation here. 
Is it the idea that you would somehow be... Would you, like, go into like, brush your teeth or something, and then you look in the mirror and you see that your face is covered in ink? Or did you yes. look down at your hands That's and exactly realize it was on your hands first? No, I, well, first it was on my hands. I washed my hands, and then I went to brush my teeth after lunch. And it was there. Excellent. It's the Rick Everson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. We return after this. Here's Allison Chains. It's all right. Just the actual ending? I think so. It's a song with like five no different bloop. successive conclusions. It's 503-228-4101. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101 KUFO. Straight ahead in just minutes, Tim Riley will have more on the following stories. What do you do with a 92-year-old Portlander charged with murder? Thanks to landslide ratings, Sparrow Fossil will make another sequel to her deathbed television program. And Pat- Patrick Swayze's people want everybody to know he's still alive, despite internet rumors to the contrary. And internet rumors, as well as that photograph that's on the cover of the new Inquirer, which is uh, which is bad. It's bad, a bad, bad, bad. It's an unpleasant photograph. All right, straight ahead, we have those stories with Tim Riley uh, still to come this hour. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian, who apparently is on the internet doing an interpretive dance while dressed like a cat. It's the Rick Emerson Show on Rock One Hundred One KUFO. <laughs> Share your thoughts with billions. I love a man in yellow pants. Call 503-228-4101. The Rick Emerson Show returns. The thing is, I think if you just put us all in a studio... You know, like in a recording studio somewhere and told us to say a bunch of weird, absurdist things that have no connection to any of, you know, any of the surrounding context. I don't think we'd be able to do it. But you actually put us in here in charge of a a live radio show and suddenly just the most insane stuff just comes out of us. Well, yellow pants are kind of fetching. It is the Rick Emerson Show coming up this hour. Peter Carlin from the Oregonian. And I just watched that video of him doing the interpretive dance like a cat. And I could only get about 10 seconds into it, and I had to close it. It was freaking me out. I told you, it's weird. It's not just weird, it's terrifying. I I mean, I I need to know the story behind this, like, sooner than later. It's Peter Carlin, uh, who's the features writer for the Oregonian, and, like, five other guys who are unknown to me. And it's sort of like this weird full Monty meets cats meets that that fat boy slim video. Uh, and And at one point, it's just Peter Carlin in a blue hat walking toward the camera, Sort of bent over at the waist and swinging his arms from left to right, and then sort of and meowing. It's like it's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. So I would is say, is it for a children's book? I don't really know, Tim. I think it's for nightmares. Is what it's for. Mm. It's for it's for nightmares and pain. Here is Tim Riley at the news desk. In the news with Tim Riley. You know they must be making Hyundai's a lot better now because one will stop going 125 miles an hour. Which I didn't think they could go that fast, because I had one at one point. Put a suitcase in the trunk, 35 miles tops, going up a hill. But a suspected drunk driver was arrested going 125 miles an hour on I-5. The Hyundai was driven by a 31-year-old Seth Kalen. He passed a deputy in the police. The driver seemed unaware that he was passing a marked patrol car. Well, he was just driving too fast and thanked the officer for stopping him. So what do you do with a 92-year-old charged with murder? Well, this Portlander was charged with killing his daughter, seriously wounding his son, and remain behind bars for two more weeks. Now, someone will have to decide whether John Myers will get pre-trial psychiatric treatment. 
His daughter was taking care of him and her 12-year-old son when Meyer shot her dead and wounded her brother in his southeast Portland home last January. Now there's an argument what to do with this old fellow. They don't want to put him in an adult care facility. He'd be a danger to the other patients. A ruthless attack at the Jack in the Box parking lot leaves a man uh, stabbed and another in jail. This happened shortly after 6.30 last night. Two guys get in an argument at the intersection of Northeast 57th and Sandy. Fills into the nearby Jack in the Box parking lot. Witnesses say the guy lunged at the other's kids before whipping out a box cutter and stabbing the father before taking off. He didn't get far. They found him at his Northeast 82nd Street home. You mean fashionable Northeast 82nd Street home, Yes, Tim. it's fashionable for criminals. It's the new up-and-coming neighborhood. That's right. It's a, it's a community on the rise. And they hauled him away. From American Idol, it looks like Simon Cowell's ex was assaulted. After she attended the finale last night, it happened at the complex at the Nokia Theater where they do the show. A 33-year-old woman walked up to Terry and asked if she was Simon's girlfriend. The suspect then allegedly attacked her and tried to choke her. The suspect is Janice Thibodeau. She's booked on felony battery charges. Her bail is $52,000. And Thibodeau has to be the biggest woman in Los Angeles, weighing 200 pounds. <laughs> Where does she buy clothes? I don't, I don't know. I really... That does seem a little... Uh, 200 pounds in Los... I mean, she, she would be easy to track down, I would imagine, <laughs> had she gotten away. <laughs> Really, the database in which they keep women like that in Los Angeles yeah, is only two or three pages long. One of her bosoms was way as much as two women. <laughs> well, she is the she is the ex Mrs. Cowell, so perhaps those two facts are not uh, not unrelated. You would imagine, though, would you not that um, Simon Cowell must be one of those guys that does attract a greater number. I mean, even though this is his ex, it wasn't him. Right. I mean, she, you know, she is you know she's related to him. She's in his orbit. Wouldn't you imagine he's the kind of guy that gets a lot of stalkers, way more than the average person, just oh, because yeah. there's always that contingent of the public. That is just crazy enough that they can't draw a distinction between the real you and the TV you. Because I remember, uh, what's his name? Larry Hagman used to talk about that back when he was playing, I'm dating myself, but playing when he was playing J.R. Ewing uh, on uh, on Dallas. And he would say that he would go through airports and people would come up and just, and just old women. He said it was always these oldsters who would come up and just curse him. These women would come up and just unleash torrents of profanity at him because... Like in their heads, they just somehow were not able to make the division between him and the character he was playing. And it's got to be even trickier with Simon Cowell because he's, you know, he's using his real name and he's presumably himself on the show. But obviously he's he's accenting certain facets of his personality. So, I mean, you got to figure if there's, I don't know, whatever, if there's 40 percent of the population that watches American Idol. And if there's one percent of that 40 percent that's just flat out nuts. I mean, that's still thousands of people. Yeah. And all they have to do is, you know, just be in the right city uh, as you at the right time. And then, uh, you know, suddenly it's all this. So, all right. So now we have Crazy Paul Abdul. And this is an interesting story. It, it is longer than the usual soundbite, but it is an entire story that you're going to want to hear. <laughs> she is talking about her claim that she has survived a fiery plane crash, which nobody has any record of. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I was on tour. And in like the end of '93, um, it, it I was uh, leaving. It was on my birthday too. I was leaving St. Louis, and I was on a seven-seater private plane. I was going to Denver, and close to 40 minutes into the air, um, one of the engines blew up, and the right wing caught on fire, and we plummeted. And I broke through my seatbelt and smashed my head on top of the plane. I was knocked out when I came to. Everyone was holding hands. The entire plane was in flames. Half the other engine blew, and the co-pilot crash-landed us in a cornfield in Iowa. This seems implausible. Wow, could it's you It's the day the music crazy? almost died. <laughs> <laughs> 
And first of all, let's I dispute the idea Heaven that... Heaven forbid I can never hear knocked out again. <laughs> I, dis, I, I dispute the idea that Paula Abdul was on tour in 1993, first of all. Um, on her birthday. I mean... The, in a cornfield. Let me just tell you, as somebody who uh, was there in 1991 playing uh, the singles from whatever the, the hell her follow-up album was, what was the follow-up album to, uh, to Forever Your Girl? Straight Up? Is that the name of no, the No, that's the single. That was the first single off Forever Your Girl. Forever Your Girl had the single Straight Up... Uh, Forever Your Girl, Opposite to Track. Did it have Knocked Out and Cold Hearted Snake? Cold Hearted was also on there, Knocked Out, I think. What was the album that had Rush Rush? Was it just called Paula? Does anybody remember? I don't no. remember. I remember having to play that song, Rush Rush, and that was... I loved that song. That was a little... That was kind of notorious because it was the video where they were doing like the Rebel Without a Cause thing, but it was also the video where they had... Technology was not really as advanced then as it is now. We didn't have science in 1991, so... That was kind of, that was chunky, Paula. Uh, she'd put on some, I think she'd been done doing, she was doing some stress eating and also some, hey, I'm hooked on drugs eating. And so if you watch the video for Rush Rush, which you really should go onto YouTube and watch that now, you watch the video for Rush Rush, it's hilarious because there's these sequences where she's standing, I don't know, it's like she's running through a field of daisies or some such, but they clearly have just taken the film and stretched it. I mean, and not in a, not in a, like an artistic expression kind of a way, like well, we're trying to make a sort of surrealist Paula Abdul, so we're stretching this to show that celebrity has morphed her as a person, just like what blah, blah, blah. It obviously is just that she's fat and they're trying to make her look skinny. And there was no real way to do it at that point because they didn't have like Photoshop or CGI the way they do now. So they just stretched the film. So she's like nine feet tall and relatively slender. But she looks like... Like a funhouse mirror. Yeah. Oh, and Keanu Reeves is in this Keanu video. Keanu Reeves is in it, too. Hot uh, stuff. But she looks like Violet Beauregard after she'd gone through the stretching machine in the Willy Wonka movie. It just So it's all bizarre looking. Anyway, but, but that was 1991, and that album was a relative flop. Uh, Rush Rush was kind of a moderately successful single, but the rest of the album didn't do anything at all. I say slipping into full Don Geronimo territory. So the idea that she would have been on tour two years after that failed album is completely implausible to me, followed by the fact that, oh, yeah, she claimed she was in a burning plane that landed in Iowa cornfield. Well, maybe she didn't do well because this uh, this plane crash, which she lived through, left part of her body paralyzed. So you went through, you had a spinal cord injury. You're so lucky you weren't paralyzed. I mean, well, I, was, I became paralyzed from, my, from the top of my head to my toes, all completely on my right side. And I spent the next five years enduring uh, 11, around 11 surgeries, uh, no, around 10. And then then when I uh, got American Idol, um, I ended up having a surgery almost every single season. Who's doing this interview? Wow. Who's the woman who's asking her these questions? Do I don't we, have it, but I do we have, does it, because doesn't the the woman who's doing the interview sounds like she's a she's a DJ of some kind. She sounds like she's sort like of like she, a, she knows that she's talking to a crazy person. Well, but but also, but it's that thing of I know I'm talking to a crazy person, but this is a but this is a puffball interview, so yeah. I can't really I can't really say Paula. That sounds made up. So I'm looking here. Uh, so while you were playing that soundbite, I was uh, I was looking online here, mm-hmm. and I I'm looking for Paula Abdul uh, news, and I'm looking for let's see. Plane. Okay, here we go. So this is from the Daily Mail, which is itself not like a terribly reliable newspaper because it's it's a British quasi tabloid. It's a poor man's son. Yes, if the son is. is sold out, you might buy it. Daily Mail says Paula Abdul. But see here again, they're just reciting it. They're just sort of quoting this as though it's true. Paula was involved in a car accident the following year, and in 1993 left paralyzed after a plane crash. 
And I mean, you could, I mean, it'd be one thing if she said, like, paralyzed with fear. Or... This is from KDWB in the Twin Cities. Mm. All right. See, if she said, like, and then I couldn't move my hand for a week and a half, it was all very traumatic. Like, that would almost be viable. <laughs> from the top of her head to her toes. Yeah, but she's... From, to the tip of her toes. I mean, so the idea that Paula Abdul would be paralyzed, like, her entire body for five years and that somehow would go underneath the radar. And by the way, also that there would be no results for that in Google News just now. That uh, that does tend to undercut perhaps the seriousness which with which we should take it. It was a super secret plane crash. Let me put more time. Pella Abdul paralyzed. Well, no plane crash of any t- kind took place in Iowa on the date that Paula claims. Ah, of course. Let's see. Uh, yeah, I'm putting this in. in, in really, and she says somewhere in Iowa, although she can't remember exactly where the, it crashed. Because <laughs> Lord knows you wouldn't file away in your brain the location of a fiery plane crash that left you unable to walk for five years. And a flight from St. Louis to Denver would not pass over Iowa anyway. No, no, it would not. Yeah, the only... Uh, I All put right, in, so now I looked at Paula Abdul plane crash, and there are tons of stories about it. About why she disappeared. But see, but are they all variations on this? Because here's the thing. I put in in Google News, I put in Paula Abdul and paralyzed. Now, here's the thing. There are 465 stories. However, the way that, you know, the way that Google News does that, you you can tell if they're sort of clumped together. They're all variations on the same copy. They are all uh, from this week. So, wow. This is so the, the survivors were holding hands in a cornfield. Probably all saying, I'd love to teach the world to sing. They were waiting for he who walks behind like, the rose. Could she, okay, I, I wish they had known what's going on behind the scenes because when I had a plane crash, it's something I made quietly go away. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess she loaded the wreckage into a pickup truck and dumped it somewhere. <laughs> me also make grammar skills go away and talk pretty. I didn't want people to feel sorry for me because I had a plane crash. Done and done. Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, I uh, want to be treated like everyone else. <laughs> Straight ahead, Peter Carlin from the Oregonian will explain why he's dancing like a cat in an interpretive dance video on Sarah X. Dillon's uh, website. You can see that at sarahxdillon.com, incidentally. More news from Tim Riley later on, our mystery guest, as well as uh, Joel Hodgson from Cinematic Titanic. Stay there. It's The Rick Emerson Show. Emerson Show returns. I cannot tell you how many times somebody will be walking by and they go, Whoa! This is Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Coming up in mere moments, we have Peter Carlin from The Oregonian who will be uh, joining us. Uh, next hour, we will have... So now about this mystery guest business. So did the mystery guest come from the radio TV interview report? Oh, yes, she did. All right. So Nibbler and I sat down yesterday afternoon and handpicked her ourselves. Does Tim know the identity of the mystery guest? Yes. Tim? All right. Yeah. All right. So you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy, it, you'll enjoy it immensely. All right. So this is coming up in about an hour. So uh, this is because of Nibbler's interview with MC Hammer, which he pulled off with considerable aplomb. Especially considering the fact that he had, I don't know, maybe 45 seconds notice and that Hammer himself was not aware that he was about to be interviewed. So you have uh, an interviewer and an interviewee, both of whom are thrown into the situation with, you know, less than a minute's warning. And I would say the interview comes off reasonably well if you can forgive the fact that Hammer seems to be speaking down to uh, to Greg the entire time. And it seems like everything he can do not to just say, you are a very foolish interviewer. So because of that, uh, we are going to be doing, uh, I don't know, about an hour from now. We'll be doing a segment where I have uh, 30 seconds warning about... So I'll just read you um, the description of the person. That was going to be my next question. So what information will I be given before the interview commences? Well, I'll give you as much information as possible because 
you know, ultimately it probably won't help you that much. <laughs> <laughs> probably. So I'll have to do a three-minute interview with this person, but I'm only going to find out who they are and what they're talking about 30 seconds ahead of time. Yes. All right, okay. So that'll be coming up in And so we'll hour. give you, like, what they do and, like, the bullet points of what they're talking about. All right. And then and I perhaps, to... like, the product they're pitching. Now, presumably, and this person doesn't know that they're the mystery guest. In other words, they think no. that I am completely well-versed in whatever it is they're discussing. Yes. All right. Awesome. <laughs> uh, Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic fame. Uh, joining us as well later on in the show, and CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. With a heart full of hate and a head full of catnip, it is uh, Oregonian features writer and man of the world, Peter Carlin. Hello, sir. Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going uh, fantastically. How's life in the Carlin household? It's uh, so far so good. Quiet. It's uh, uh, Too quiet? Know. Pardon? Nothing. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, things are good. Hey, let me uh, say a couple things. First of all, I have a comment, then a question. Okay. And I'll take my answers off the air. Have you seen, I don't normally care about Paula Abdul ever at all. Yeah. Uh, but have you seen this story that came out today where she claims that she was in a fiery plane crash in Iowa that left her paralyzed for five years? <laughs> That's, but that reaction is exactly why I brought it up. None of us had ever heard about it. And in fact, no one outside of Paula Abdul's head had ever heard about this because it's clearly just something that she's hallucinating. There was an article. Tim, what is the. So do we know where this originated, where the, the actual interview. A, a radio station in Minneapolis, St. Paul. So Paula Abdul, who. And, you know, I don't really watch American Idol, but uh, but I do like to watch people just sort of fall apart publicly. So there's that that's going on here. Mm-hmm. But she denied for the longest time that she was on drugs or uh, uh, drunk ever. And I think we actually have a soundbite somewhere of her saying, like, I have never done a drug in my life. And that was immediately followed by her saying, I've done drugs every day of my life for 12 years. Right. And so now she's in the why did you do drugs phase, which is sort of like that's like when somebody gets busted for something, they immediately come out with how they were like. Abuses the child. I was just going to say how they were held down and they were, uh, you know, and they, they were repeatedly, uh, it re- repeatedly touched in an inappropriate fashion by, you know, by a whole busload of nuns or something. Yeah. So Paula Abdul's variation on this is that she started taking drugs after a fiery plane crash. Tim, do you have the actual uh, the description of it from the article? Let's see. But, but then I have another one here from VH1. When they talked to her without really doing any meticulous research. In this installment, she talks about her plane crash, which they never question, her injuries, and her painful road to recovery. And well, when was this? This well, happened in. Uh, I was on tour at the end of 93. Really? We can hear the soundbite. On again. her birthday. Do you want to play the soundbite? Yeah. Peter, would you be interested in hearing the soundbite? It's only 30 seconds. All right, here's, here's the Paula Abdul soundbite. I was on tour. And in like the end of '93, um, it, it I was uh, leaving. It was on my birthday too. I was leaving St. Louis, and I was on a seven-seater private plane. I was going to Denver, and close to 40 minutes into the air, um, one of the engines blew up, and the right wing caught on fire, and we plummeted. And I broke through my seatbelt and smashed my head on top of the plane. I was knocked out when I came to. Everyone was holding hands. The entire plane was in flames. Half the other engine blew, and the co-pilot crash-landed us in a cornfield in Iowa. And then she goes on to say that it was, she was paralyzed, quote, from her head to her toes. And had 14 surgeries. And, yeah, and so it was completely... And Buddy Holly died in that crash, didn't he? <laughs> and Sarah went online, and, I mean, it's just on the, on the Intertron, so who's to say? But according to the National Transportation Safety Board, there's been, of course, no plane crash uh, in Iowa in, in would you say anywhere in Iowa, Sarah, or is it said that nowhere in Iowa or near Iowa between 1990 and 1995? Yeah, the, and also looking online, I mean, we made this observation during the break that I can't believe I'm spending a totally disproportionate amount of energy trying to undermine a story told by Paula Abdul. 
Um, but online, half the stories say it's 1992, half the stories say it's 1993. So it's just one of those things that I find fascinating. You know, the thing about her and um, is that, um, and she seems like probably a nice person at heart in her way, is, <laughs> is that every time I've seen her, like, you know, like in person, like back in the... Uh, the TV critic uh, press tour days, mm-hmm. she always seemed a little stunned, you know, a little dazed, like somebody who was, and I think I'd actually alluded to this or maybe even said it explicitly in stories at the time, that she looked like a person who was maybe overdoing the prescription medication. Yes. So I was not the least bit surprised to learn that this, you know, severe, you know, and especially pills, I think, are easy for people and especially stars and starlets to do because it's this kind of passive um, way of curing your problems, you know? Well, and plus, it's like you're not going down to meet some, you know, you're not as uh, as David Bowie would say, waiting for the man, uh, you David know, to Bowie come. wouldn't say that. Lou Reed would say that. No, but see, okay, but everybody, see, you bastards. Now, look, it, it, here's the, I always say, as David Bowie would say, and then there's somebody who goes, as Lou Reed would say, but I am quoting the David Bowie version of the song, uh, as used to great effect in Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous in uh, 2003. David Bowie covers I'm Waiting for waiting for the Man. Are you questioning me on this? Are you doubting me? No, I'm me? not. I'm just, I just hadn't known. No, it's a, yeah, David Bowie does a great cover of that song, which is, which is the version uh, that I'm most familiar with just because, it, again, because it's used in, in Almost Famous, which I've seen a billion times. And so now whenever I hear that song or whenever I, I'm quoting the lyrics, it is David Bowie's voice uh, that I hear in my head. And it's yeah, a fantastic you gotta, cover. You've got to moderate that. When you, when you cite the quotation, you can't cite the guy that covered the song. You've got to cite the guy that wrote the song. Because Bowie also covered Let's Spend the Night Together, but you're not going to say, <laughs> like David Bowie said, Let's Spend the Night Because everybody knows that's a Rolling Stones tune. I suppose that's true. What does David Bowie's version of Let's Spend the Night Together even sound like? Um, kind of weird. And then this kid that I knew in college a long time ago was once spent a long time lecturing me about how it was actually far superior to the Stones version. Really? Yeah, but this kid was a bit of a a, a douche. Yeah. Well, he had a band. I, I've never forgotten this. It's been like a de- it's been like centuries. But uh, he had a band. <laughs> not like this kid was pretentious, but his band, his one man band, was called Passing Smiles Project. Okay, that is. That is, that really is pretentious. Let's I've have no. I've always wondered. I like keep googling "passing smiles project" to <laughs> see, see if like see they made ever, it big. Yeah, I wonder where that guy is today. He probably works for. He probably works on Wall Street somewhere. <laughs> the uh, hey, by the way, speaking of bands, I know we're kind of all over the map here, but is it true? Did you email me uh, uh, this comment that you at one point were in a band and your repertoire included "Do You Think I'm Sexy" by Rod Stewart? Um, I have no recollection. Yeah, that that did happen. Please tell me that you were the singer. I was. Really? Yeah. Please tell me that there is audio or video or at least a photograph of you in your band preparing to sing Do You Think I'm Sexy is made famous by Rod Stewart. There's photos of me in the band, but there's no, uh, I was, there, no, I don't believe. There, there are no any. extant recordings of this? Yeah. What was the name of your band? No, it was at high school. It was the uh, the stage band at Garfield High School in Seattle. All right, so this okay, so this wasn't like uh, it wasn't like a thing you did as an external project. It wasn't, and you wasn't like a talent show. You were sort of the you were the stock band that would be there to provide music for various assemblies and so forth. And basketball games, yeah, we played that tune. I think at the Seattle Center Coliseum once. And you actually, so this is, and it wasn't like an instrumental version. Like you were actually as part of a school event singing the song. Yeah, singing. Do you think I'm sexy? I think to the shock and 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 dismay of of all my high school <laughs> classmates and of and of all of assembled humanity i would imagine we were uh, 
I think Sarah, it was, I think it was Sarah that had never heard that song. Sarah, was that why that came out? Because you'd never heard it? No, 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 no. I'd heard it. I think we were talking about like, the whitest songs. Yeah, I think so. I think we were discussing the whitest songs ever recorded or the sleaziest songs ever recorded or some confluence of the two, and came that came up. up. On your show, which is why I ended yeah. up having to confess wow. that to you. All right, I don't even know, I don't even know what we're talking about now. Paul Abdul, Plane Crash, Prescription Drugs, Lou Reed. Can we talk about my debut as a modern dancer? Yes. Okay, that's exactly where we were going. So if you go to SarahXDillon.com, that is oh. Sarah with an H. Sarah, <laughs> the metaphor is a little... The little Peter, a, you keep giving me all this gold to put on my blog. Of, my blog I appreciate it. If you go to SarahXDillon.com, which has become just an all-Peter Carlin blog, it's sort of like she's become... All-Peter all the time. You were, Peter so to speak. PeterCarlinSucks.org. Uh, you, you, you were... You suck what? Never mind. Uh, it's only when the rent is due, baby. Um, the uh, But if you go to SarahXDillon.com, it's like you were talking about how prescription painkillers are sort of a low-grade passive way to become, uh, you know, a junkie. Yes. SarahXDillon.com has become a low-grade way to, uh, the passive way to stalk Peter Carlin. Awesome. Because first, there's a website that you were discussing last week, which is the awkward blanks.com which is about uh the men caught in an inadvertent moment of sexual excitement right then there's a, just a big photo of your crotch <laughs> then yeah, that one was a little bit of a uh surprise to me yeah well i mean where's that photo from so it's from his, his it's facebook from, page yeah, his facebook page it does pe- look here's the thing that <laughs> photograph of you on stage i don't know where you're speaking in at Livewire, which is the the radio show they do at the at the Aladdin, right. it, it is sort of like you're being shot by Lenny Riefenstahl or something. It's got this weird low angle thing going on. Well, it's because they shot it from the front, like in front of the stage. And the way that the lighting is set up in the angle, it is as though you are at some, speaking at some sort of crotchetorium, and you know, and you're like Exhibit A. I mean, anyway, and. The, so now the most recent posting is you and like five other guys doing interpretive dance. But, like, as cats, please to explain. <laughs> That's what happened, man. Um, and it was at this uh, Performance Works Northwest. They do a, uh, which is out in Lentz, in a really, it's a really cool kind of artsy type of organization. And every few months they do something called the Boris and Natasha Cabaret. And, um, and, what, and she, Linda Austin, who runs that organization, is a choreographer and, a, you know, an artiste. And, and one of the things she likes to do for these cabarets is get a bunch of dudes that don't dance and and turn them into a modern dance troupe and for you know two performances and she'll choreograph like a, a, a routine for them to do and so it it sort of forces the audience to to reconsider um, movement in the human body. <laughs> Like Seriously, this is how this is how you were sold this. Kind of thing around, but it was a really, really super interesting <laughs> group of people because it was. I mean, apart from me, because um, you know I'm just dull. But uh, but David Bragdon, Metro President, was one of our members, and uh, and uh, uh, um, Scott Bricker, who runs the the Bicycle Transportation Alliance, and a. a, a James Harrison, who's a sculptor. The best part is, as you were just now saying, it forces you to reconsider movement in the human body. Yeah. Not even you could hold it together as you were trying to explain that. And you, not even you could deliver that uh, without uh, without uh, realizing the essential absurdity of that statement. And Barry, and then our last, our fifth member is Barry Pack, who is uh, Deputy Secretary of State of the State of Oregon. It is, I have to say, it is alternately fascinating and terrifying. Um, Man, you should have been up there. They'll have you do it next time. I'll, the, I'll turn you on. I'll turn her on to you. Yeah, please, please do that. Either the moment when you sort of are bent over at the waist and you're sort of sashaying from side to side and walking toward the camera, I actually just had to pull the ripcord. I just had to close the whole thing. But you got like 30 seconds. Into yeah, those. because you started, it was, it was very disconcerting because you started to look like that guy in Silence of the Lambs who's talking and then dancing in front of the mirror. 
and yeah, do, do a I lot would... of, you know, would you F me? You know, and it was just all very weird. It was... Yeah, but he didn't have a cat toy on his head. <laughs> well, you do. Yeah. Uh, what is coming up in the Oregonian, Peter Carlin? You can check that out on YouTube. People yes. at uh, and just wait, go to YouTube and search for Boris and Natasha on catnip, uh, or you can go to uh, SarahXDillon.com. Oh, or you could go to SarahXDillon.com. Find it posted there among all the other Peter Carlin musings. Yeah. Uh, what is coming up in the uh, in the Oregonians? Well, on Saturday I've got a big story about the Boris and Natasha dancers, my friend. Oh, well, there you go. And on Sunday I have a story in O about uh, going '80s dancing at Lola's on Friday night. Peter Carlin, Lola's. What's with you and the dancing? dancing? I just have the music in me. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Okay. I, I'm having a breakdown, I think. <laughs> read all about it on SarahXDillon.com. Fantastic. On that note, read him in print in the Oregonian online at OregonLive.com. Thank you, my friend. That is Peter Carlin, ladies and gentlemen, from the Oregonian. Excellent. Thank you, Peter. All right. It's 503-228-4101. The Rick Everson Show continues next. It is Rock 101 KUFO. Broadcasting in ADHD. He treated me like a dirty whore. Hey, free sex! The Rick Emerson Show returns. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. I went back and tried to watch the Peter Carlin cat dance thing again, and I just couldn't. It was... I can't get the audio on my computer. Does it need audio? I don't know. Uh, it really doesn't matter because I'm not going to be watching it a third time. I'm not. It was it making be... me feel totally creepy, though, because now it's just like I've posted way too many Peter Carlin things on my blog about his mental breakdowns. Yes. Yes, you have. Well, it's good to chronicle it somewhere, Sarah, for future That's... generations to study. Exactly. Tim Riley, what are the stories that we're following on this Wednesday morning? A fire at a downtown high-rise apartment leaves uh, two people and a dog homeless. A neighborhood man's accused of assaulting a co-worker... And what do you do with a 93-year-old man accused of murdering somebody? Is that a, uh, a riddle of some kind? It is, kind of. What do you do? <laughs> That's not... Okay, not so much a riddle. Never mind. Let's... Uh, is that the extent of our news teasing in this segment? <laughs> going to be partly cloudy today, highs near 70. That's also not teasing, but that's okay. We'll, we'll plunge straight ahead. Um, in this hour, we have the mystery guest coming up, and that is going to be at, what, 745? Yes. Okay. And so, Tim, you know the identity of the mystery guest? I do, yes. All right. Greg, you know the identity of the mystery guest? All right. And the mystery guest came out of now. I want you should close it so I, so I don't see the actual page, uh, it, the radio TV interview report. In fact, do me a favor. Mark the actual page so that I can turn to other pages without seeing the guest that you, you have actually picked. For today, this way I can sort of just, uh, if you just want to stick something in there, whatever, that way I can sort of, sort of flip through. Like so, a shoe or something. Exactly. So we'll, so we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk more about this as the hour goes on, but the radio TV interview report is just, a, as they say, chock-a-block with bad, bad guests, such as this one. What really goes on behind the scene at dog shows? <laughs> Would you like to talk to Melanie Coronets about, uh, she's a dog show handler. Dogs seem to be taking over the world, she says. You'll be astonished at what happens behind the scenes at some of America's most popular dog shows. We also have this one. Would you let this guest sleep on your couch? <laughs> I don't even know what this means. What does that even I, I mean? I think the answer is already no. I, <laughs> I haven't seen the guest. I don't know. He's an award-winning photographer and marketing consultant who travels the country. Sleeping on your couch? It doesn't say what he does. This makes no sense. Listen, this is how they're describing this guest. Ori Bengal is a popular blogger, photographer, and accomplished market consultant. 
For the past two years, he has traveled the country, oh, here we go, sleeping on hundreds of strangers' couches and learning about life. Would you like to interview him? No. no. The answer is no. <laughs> but Sarah, uh, Greg, and Tim have picked someone from this book, and with only 30 seconds warning, I will have to interview them uh, and conduct a three-minute, passable, plausible radio interview. Can I do it? Find yes. out later. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. I seem to recognize you. Frost Brewed Coors Light, the world's most refreshing beer. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coors Light believes with great beer comes great responsibility. This hour of music on KUFO is brought to you by You Pull It Auto Wrecking. Taco Bell. Think outside the bun. The Rick Emerson Show returns. What a catastrophe. This is Rock 101 KUFO. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It is uh, Wednesday morning. Coming up in about uh, 25 minutes, we will be doing Mystery Guest. So I'll get 30 seconds advance notice, uh, and then I have to do... So we've decided it's three minutes, not two. No, not two. Stop being a pansy now. All right. It was always three. Do we have a, a bell with which we can mark the passage of time? Yes. Can you hear this? All right. Well, hold on. We have to pot down the, uh, the bed here. All right. So... Th- I think you got to not uh, yeah, try one more time there. There we go. That works. Okay. So we'll do that as every minute passes. That'll mark off. We'll do it in one minute increments, I yes. guess. All right. Uh, coming up at 8 o'clock, Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Cinematic Titanic, uh, which is going to be uh, coming at the time, by the way. They will be uh, here. They're going to be at the Newmark. And that is coming up the 29th and 30th. Uh, the 20th, 9th, and 30th of May, the Newmark Theater. Tickets are on sale now. You can go to CinematicTitanic.com. So we'll talk to him at 8 o'clock, plus Lisa Desjardins. At the news desk, it's Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Nobody hurt at a fire at a downtown high-rise last night. This is 2221 Southwest First Avenue, one of our neighbors. When they arrived at the scene, they quickly put it out. They had to find a place for two adults and a dog to stay. Some guy taken into custody after a stabbing incident last night in the parking lot of the Jack in the Box in Northeast. Get out of control quickly. Apparently, there's an argument at the intersection, spilled into the parking lot, and the guy with the knife actually started hassling the other guy's kids and then ended up stabbing the dad, took off, and they found him at his home on 82nd Avenue. Of course. Then a former prison guard at Coffee Creek has been arrested on accusations he had sexual contact with a lady inmate. 29-year-old Darcy McKnight has been arrested at his southeast Portland home on an outstanding warrant. He's accused of having sexual conduct with a woman inmate in a control room at the correctional facility. He was arrested in southeast Portland? Yeah, can you imagine that? This is Actually, so this is two stories back-to-back that are uh, really boosting the real estate values in my part of the city. Mm-hmm. Well done, Tim. And so his, they start there every time there's a crime uh, now. And his name is Darcy? Darcy, yes. His name is Darcy, and he became a prison guard. Mm-hmm. I think we can draw a pretty straight line from A to B there. Guy wakes up all angry at life every day. Here's that, Tim Riley. So, uh, oh, we have this. They're going after the credit card companies now in Congress. North Dakota Senator Byron Dorgan gives evidence that credit card companies are targeting the kids. Oops, is my... Oh, wait a minute. I think that's up my end here. Hang on a minute. 
Let me fix this. Byron Dorgan sounds like the ingredients in some sort of a Swedish meal. Mm-hmm. Like an well, I, I took a, uh, this chart over to the floor. I mean, what I saw was a solicitation to kids. A Hello Kitty. I mean, this is it here. You know, a Hello, Hello Kitty. Kitty. Uh, on a credit card, the person that developed this said that uh, they were aiming at 10 to 14-year-olds. And I'm wondering, what on earth are they thinking? I mean, how stupid can you be to decide you're going to try to wallpaper this country with credit cards aimed at 10 to 14-year-olds? Uh, it's just, look, the, the credit card industry has invited this scrutiny, not only with bad practices about dramatic increases in interest rates and fees, but also targeting credit cards at kids. I think he's making this up. I mean, not that, there's a, not that there's a Hello Kitty credit card. I certainly believe that there's a Hello Kitty. They sell Hello Kitty vibrators, for the love of God. So, but you can't, but I mean, you can't even own a credit card until you're 18, right? Isn't that the deal? Like, you can't have, I mean, legally. I, I believe your parents can sign for something. You can have something similar to that. Really? Under yeah. the age of eight, your parents, you could, with your parents, this is like that thing in Delaware where you can get married if you're like 12 or something, if your parents think it's a swell idea. So if, you're, if your parents sign off on it, you can have a credit card when you're like 15, 16? Somewhere around there. I've seen it someplace. That just seems phenomenally ill-advised. Imagine, I cannot fathom how, look, I don't, I don't have children myself. So, uh, but, so you know, this is, this is where everybody then emails in. As somebody who doesn't have a parent, you don't have any right to you know, have opinions on things. But, but yeah, kids that use credit cards and all the time. Imagine how phenomenally dense you would have to be as a parent to give your kid a credit card, though. They I do. Mean, but I mean, but doesn't that seem, that seems ill-advised. I mean, that just seems terrible. Because it's but not. You don't watch Gossip Girl. No, I don't, Tim. I'm just saying. I just watched the season finale yesterday. I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, I'm not saying that kids are any dumber than anybody else. They're, they're, they're obviously not. I mean, kids are way smarter than most people give them credit for, but that's not really the issue, uh, so to speak. Uh, but that's not really the issue. The The issue is that, like, if you're 18, 19, 20, if you're over the age of 18 and you get into a hole with your credit card debt, you know, then they're going to come after you and kick you out and take everything you own, and that's fine. But, of course, if your kid does that, then they're going to come after you, right? They don't yeah. go after the kid. Then the parents are on the hook for it. Mm-hmm. So, And plus, let's be honest. I mean, it, as P.J. O'Rourke once said, Giving certain things to certain people at certain times of their life is just, you know, you might as well just hand them whiskey and car keys and a gun. So that that seems uh, that seems ill-advised. So Ellen DeGeneres is the graduation class speaker at Tulane University. Well, the thing is, she never went to college herself. No, no. Thought that you had to be a famous alumnus, alumni, aluminum, alumnus. You had to graduate from the school and. I didn't go to college uh, here, and as uh, I don't know if President Cowan knows, I didn't go to college at all, any college. And I'm not saying you wasted your time or money, but look at me, I'm a huge celebrity. Excellent. Good for her. I'm always uh, intrigued by the honorary degree or honorary doctorate thing, Yeah. because it seems like almost invariably they pick somebody who never went to college at the place or, as Ellen DeGeneres just noted, uh, at all. Meanwhile, from Pullman, Washington, comes the story of the man beaten with a golf club after urinating on a car. Two men suffered injuries after they were beaten after urinating on what they thought was an empty car. Police said they only got out of the car and assaulted two men with a golf club. Oh, good for him. One of the men suffered a possible arm fracture and was transported to Pullman Regional Hospital. Police Sergeant uh, Dan Dorns said urinating in public is a crime even in Pullman. And the two men will probably be cited in this case. Even Pullman in Pullman. Pullman is just covered in urine. Seriously, with all the house parties and stuff there, I mean, that's where I went to college, and there's like, you know, one bathroom for 70 people. Every, you just learn to be outside. That's where, it's a skill we should all possess, Sarah, like Boy Scouts. Well, that's where WSU is, and so it's just, 
I mean, it is just one long, endless, drunken debauch uh, that is happening. Is. There. It, I it, mean, it fulfills every stereotype of college. I mean, I've only I only ever went to Pullman. Uh, the only reasons I ever went to Pullman were a to visit friends who were going to college because. Ellen DeGeneres and I have much in common. For example, the fact that we did not attend, uh, we were not university material. So I didn't go to college, but I had friends who were going to WSU, friends that I'd gone to, to like high school with or whatever, and you kind of, you know, you go to you go to see them. And so I would go there for that, or we would go there for shows occasionally because there would be like a concert. Like when I was living in Spokane, a lot of times, like if it was a sort of a big tour, like I remember when Metallica, when Metallica toured on the Black Album, they didn't come to Spokane because Spokane, but they went to Pullman and they played it. Uh, whatever the venue was, I don't even remember at this point. Um, but I went there for that, and it was like everywhere you went, everyone constantly seemed to be buying beer. It didn't seem to matter what day it was, what time of three in the morning, five in the morning, Sunday, doesn't matter. Well, there were like multiple bars on campus that would just be packed at 11 o'clock and, in the morning. Yeah, and every time I would go into any convenience store or gas station to buy anything, I was always sandwiched between five guys who were buying 15 cases of natural light. Oh, yeah. So, anyway, so, they, so the whole town does have and a bit was, of a... It was uh, bush light, Rick. Sorry. It does have a bit of a, a, a pea stench, I would imagine. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Well, it was bigger than Charlie's Angels. It was uh, Farrah's, uh, Farrah, Farrah Fawcett's deathbed documentary. And now they want to make a sequel. Their longtime partner, Ryan O'Neill, tells the Today Show that the network has ordered a follow-up to Farrah's story. They haven't, they haven't stopped filming. And they're going to make a second installment on her life eventually. Almost nine people tuned into the story on uh, the Charlie's Angels... Yes. What would a sequel possibly consist of? Just a static shot of her tombstone? I, I don't know, but I bet the rest of the angels are jealous of this. I guess. I, I mean, having having said that, I didn't really watch it, but it, it, I it didn't goes, either. But it goes all the way up to now when she's got the cancer, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is there, I mean, I, I don't mean to cast aspersions on the life of Farrah Fawcett, but is there a lot left to be told there? Are there? It was shot with their own video camera, with the help of her friend Elena. Oh, so it did this. It ended poorly. Oh, wait a minute. So this wasn't like a. It wasn't like a scripted, fictionalized thing. No, like a Lifetime movie? That's what I thought. I thought it was like a biopic or something. No. Oh, all right. Okay. So, this so now is... you're all for it. Okay. Well, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, here's the thing. If you have anal cancer, uh, it seems like you get a pass to do whatever else you want with your life. You know what I mean? That yeah. seems like you're... There's getting hit with the bad luck stick, and then there's just getting flat out rogered with that stick. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she's fallen into the latter category there. So, Farrah Fawcett, that gives you sort of a uh, you have carte blanche then to do whatever it is you want. That's uh, that's going to balance itself out. Uh, Patrick Swayze's people say, "quote He's alive and well." Unquote. That's the uh, rep for the Dirty Dancing star, who's refuting rumors that the actor lost his battle to cancer yesterday. And Ed Wolf said in a statement on E Online, "quote." This is to confirm that Patrick Swayze did not pass away this morning, contrary to severely reckless reports, unquote. The claims of his death reportedly came from a radio station in Jacksonville, Florida. Wolf goes on to say Swayze is alive, well, and enjoying life. You've reached a sort of interesting place in your career when your PR people spend 85% of their time trying to combat rumors that you are, in fact, dead. Mm-hmm. So, Do we believe this, or do we believe that he, is, uh, that he has passed away? Anyone? I say he's still alive, for now. Sarah? I think he's probably dead. All right. See, and I, I'm somewhere in the middle, I believe. Uh, so are we going to hear something different by the time we leave today? Uh, oh, perhaps. Let me look. I'm the guessing, last picture I saw of him, he was... He looked bad. and It not, was bad, bad, bad. And he didn't look bad in that National Enquirer way where you suspect that they've just kind of caught you at a, at a bad moment where you're wiping your nose or sneezing or something. It He seemed to be... Uh, 
He, he seemed to be not in a good way. He seemed to be well, drastically like, underweight. Just for me, the way I'm thinking, if he was still alive, I, I feel like he would have come forward and said something. I'm fine. Look at me. Through a publicist. Not I'm, like somebody who's not him going, no, no, no. The Invisible Man is still alive. No, that's a, that's a good point. I mean, you, you would think that if it, if it really was reckless uh, disregard for the truth behind this reporting, that's a good point. That Patrick Swayze himself would have appeared and like, look, I'm singing, I'm dancing. You know, and instead. Maybe he's busy out singing and dancing. <laughs> Maybe he's busy filming several movies at once. Well, all right. So, uh, they, I, but well, I, there's nothing new. I'm in the middle. I'm guessing that he is alive, but on the on the real downside like any, like of any the day. whole thing. Yeah. See, now I feel like to to atone for my total misunderstanding with the fair thing, I feel like I have to go watch the movie. So this is a documentary that that she herself uh, filmed or made or whatever all with right. the help of her friend Danette. All right. Here's uh, Tim Riley. Oh, by the way, apparently yesterday was an election day here in uh, Oregon, and nobody nobody cast a ballot. So we're not going to talk about it. What were we voting for? Oh, little things like dog catcher, uh, secretary of electricity, st- stuff like that. No, right. Nobody really pays any attention to. I don't even know that I received. Did I get a ballot for this? Well, you must have if you're a registered voter. I am. I yeah. am. Well, I must be. It's just buried in a pile of Think Geek catalogs. All right. Well, to... well, this was about school boards, water districts, and fire districts. Nah, I don't care about that. Milwaukee understand. got to choose a new mayor. Well, good for them. Don't you think that 82nd ought to get its own mayor? They ought to put. They, they ought to have their own everything. Eighty second ought to have its own police force, its own mayor, its own city council. They ought to have their own utilities and everything set up there. And then we can just fence the rest of it off and come back and check on it in let's say two or three years and see if things have improved any. That's what I was thinking. Let's do uh, one more here and then we'll get uh, caught up around the corner. So uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but maybe you didn't join us for the missing link story. Scientists at the American Museum of Natural History unveiled the missing link. It's a monkey skeleton, 47 million years old. Paleontologist Jörn Harum of the University of Oslo tells Good Morning America why this find is so significant. This is the first time we see something this complete, this old, that's a relative of ourselves. Usually, uh, when paleontologists study early primates, uh, you find maybe single teeth or maybe single toe bones. I'm going to start using primates as a word. I'm going to work that into my lexicon almost immediately. This human was uh, nearly six human years old when it died 47 million years ago. The nickname is Ida, and that's my daughter, and she's nearly six years old. So that's why we made that nickname. Do you ever listen to a certain accent, and it seems like it must hurt to talk that way? Like, listen to that guy speak right now, it sort of makes my tongue ache a little bit, because I'm, it, it seems like you must have to contort your mouth into an awful lot of strange uh, positions to make those sounds. I suppose that's true. But he knows more about monkeys than you do. <laughs> that is true, Tim. Sherrod, I am. It is the Rick Emerson Show coming up here in uh, about nine minutes. We'll have the mystery guest with me. It's the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Here's Metallica. Broadcasting from the greatest city of... Effing thing sucks! Effing! We'll do it live! Oh, well, all right, whatever. This is the Rick Emerson Show on Rock 101. KUFO. I see that evil grin on your face. Are you nervous? Oh. You should be. Only somewhat. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's 503-228-4101. All right. Is the mystery guest able to hear us? Uh, no, she guess, is that her? Okay, I guess she's already. Uh, right, no, so, Greg tested the phone too. <laughs> so, 
The mystery guest does not know that they're a mystery guest. No. Right. So you need to... And, um, I'll play it straight. I'll be nice. The mystery guest wants an air check, too, and I don't want to... But then again, the mystery guest is getting to promote her mystery products. All right. So the, the mystery guest will be given an air check. In other words, we will we will provide a recording of this. No, here's the thing. And you know what? I will conduct... I think that's got to be one of the ground rules here is that I conduct the interview seriously. Yes. That I can't be... And like she'll a, sell a lot of books. I, I can't be... Uh, because I, you're the Oprah of Portland. Exactly, Tim. Uh, I, so I can't be... You know, I'm not going to be a goof about it. Okay, so let's establish the uh, you know, sort of the framework here. So this is because of uh, Nibbler's interview that he did with Hammer. That we played yesterday. We might play part of that back today, actually, again, because it was just it was, it was fried gold. But the Hammer interview is where Greg himself had no idea that he was going to be interviewing MC Hammer, and MC Hammer clearly had no idea that he was going to be interviewed. But they actually did a he did a great job. I mean, the interview turned out, I would say, pretty well given the circumstances. So we've now escalated that where. This person on hold, and it is a woman. Her name is Becky Maisner. Becky Maisner. All right. So I'm going to be given 30 seconds notice. So which means at some point here, uh, you will hand me the guest material. I'll kind of go over it real quickly, maybe tease a headline or two. Then we go to the phones. I have to do well, it. Yeah, I'm going to read you the. Um, do I get to have the information no, you in front of me? get to have it, but I'm going to. Re- right. I'm, okay. I need to, to tell you what it is. And so then, uh, then I have to do a three-minute interview with her. In which I sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, and you will ring off the minutes with that bell. Can we hear the bell? All right, there you go. So that will ring off the minutes as they pass by. And at the three-minute mark, I will wrap it up and we'll see if it was a uh, if it was a success. Okay. All right. And we'll let you do one again. All right. Uh, so how are we going to do this? Are you just going to unveil I'll verbally the guest? All right. Hold on. Let me, let me find a blank piece of paper. We need like actually. a drum roll. Hold on. One, one moment here. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> Keep hitting the bell. Hold on. Let me just, uh, let's see. All right. I know it doesn't seem like tearing out a piece of paper from my legal pad should be one of the more challenging things from my morning, but all right. So Becky Maisner is the woman's name. Yes. Becky Maisner. I feel like I want some music or something behind this. All right. Okay. So let's list off the guest material, Tim T's headlines, then I'll pick her up. Okay. All right. Let's go. Okay. Who is the guest? Becky Maisner. Best friends take the road together. Interview the woman who traveled the U.S. in a motorhome with her dog and her cat. <laughs> Uh, many many animal lovers dream of taking their pets on vacation with them. While spending some time in cramped quarters with animals can be rewarding. Would you be able to do it for a whole year? B.J. Maisner has done just that. She embarked on a cross-country motorhome trip with her only cat, Monty, and her Shih Tzu Tootsie for company. She discusses what it's like to spend quality time with her pet. The trouble with Monty, how curiosity almost got the best of her cat. Her top ten tips on traveling with pets. Uh, her credentials are that she traveled for a year in a motorhome across the United States with her pets. What is the dog's name? Monty. No, no, oh, no, 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 that's no. the Tootsie. cat. Tootsie. So Tootsie the dog and Monty the cat. Her love of animals, the breathtaking scenery, and the wonderful memories of her travels inspired her to write Monty the Traveling Cat. Wait, hold on. So what is the name of the book? What Mon- is she pitching? Monty the Traveling Cat. Oh, it's cat. not Best Friends Take the Road Together. No, no. The book is called Monty the Traveling Cat. Monty. Here's a, here's a picture of the book. Okay, one second. Monty, because I want to be able to, to pimp the, the thing correctly. Monty the Traveling Cat. Does she have a website? Uh, How can people find the book? Is there any sort of a... That might uh, be a question for... All right. I want to make. I want to do, do the Becky. right thing by her and make sure that people can, can buy Monty the Traveling Cat. Becky Maisner, Monty the Traveling Cat. All right. Uh, Tim, what headlines are we tracking on this uh, Wednesday morning? Apparently, a free house on Craigslist is no scam. We'll talk more about that. Oregon State's unemployment rate, 9.1%. Not so for Clark County. There's 13.4%. A sailor man is killed by a road grader, and an eagle is killed by a wind turbine. 
All right. You cannot laugh. You cannot laugh. You have to not laugh audibly. This is like that Steven Seagal thing. I'm looking forward to hearing this. All right. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, the author of Monty the Traveling Cat. She traveled the U.S. in a motorhome with her dog and her cat. Uh, Becky Maisner, the author of Monty the Traveling Cat. She traveled the United States in a motorhome with her uh, dog Tootsie and uh, her uh, uh, cat Monty for a full year. And she's written a book about life lessons uh, that she learned from this experience. Becky Maisner, hello, Becky. How are you today? Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning, Portland, Oregon. How, how are you today? How's life? I'm good. I'm uh, packing up to go to the Indy 500 this weekend. Now, will Monty and Tootsie be, uh, be accompanying you to the Indy 500? They're not going to go with me this time. Oh, I see. They're, they're probably all traveled out at this point. <laughs> well, I actually adopted Monty uh, nine years ago. Um, actually, this is about his ninth birthday. Well, uh, well, happy birthday, uh, Monty. <laughs> uh, so and He's over here by me here somewhere, I'm sure, listening. Um, yeah, I adopted him uh, at the Indy 500 nine years ago. Uh, I knew some people who were going to get rid of some cats. They had some kittens, and they were going to get rid of them. And I wanted a kitten, and uh, I went and looked at him. And Monty was the only one that I could catch. Actually, he came to me, so I I think he picked me. So uh, now, did you? Where did the idea come from to travel the country in a motorhome with uh, with a cat and a dog? It seems like a cat and a dog in close quarters uh, for a year that might be a recipe for disaster. Well, they were good company. We we kept each other good company. Um, well, Monty is the one that had the most transitions to make. Um, cats do not like to travel. They don't travel well. Um, so he would stay under the covers uh, during most of the trip. Tootsie was a very good traveler. She loved it. Um, she just stayed in her little bed and... Uh, was she was a very good traveler. Now, if, uh, you went through all different locales. Did uh, did you find, did you have to bring? Uh, you, does uh, does Tootsie have some sort of a uh, some sort of a variety of sweaters or other uh, other dog clothing that uh, that Tootsie can wear? You know, if you were someplace cold. <laughs> uh, she did have a sweater. Yes. Yes. Because yes, uh, she was a little cold natured, so she did have a sweater. Now, where would you say? Uh, where would you say that the uh, the animals enjoyed the most as you were traveling uh, the country with Monty and Tootsie in your motorhome? Was there a was there a locale where they seemed to have a great time more than the others? Well, we spent a lot of time in Cody, Wyoming, near Yellowstone National Park. I actually were camped there for a couple of months during the summer, and um, so we did spend a lot of time around Yellowstone. It says uh, it says here that uh, that the curiosity almost got the best of one cat, and that cat being Monty, yeah. uh, who's your cat now. Is there? Uh, I hope the hope the story ended well. I hope there wasn't tragedy involved. Oh no 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 not at all. He just had me worried. <laughs> um, we were at a, a campground there, um, actually Yellowstone. And, well, I had a habit of doing this actually several times, but. Um, in Yellowstone, I was particularly worried because, you know, there's all kinds of wild animals around there. Yes. And um, he jumped out. I tried to keep him in the motorhome uh, most of the time, and he was pretty good about that. But I guess the scenery got to him, and he really wanted to go looking. Well, they are they are an inquisitive uh, animal, aren't they? 
And so, um, you know, he, he kind of went out and I yelled for him and had to hunt him down. And he actually stayed close by. So he, he was really in no danger, but he had me worried. Well, I'm glad things ended well. Did you, did your friends, uh, find, find it odd that you were going to be traveling, uh, the country in a, in a, in a motorhome? Friends, loved ones, did they, uh, look, look at you like you were, uh, like you were fixing to do something that was a little uh, little strange? Yeah. Some people think it's really bizarre, a woman going out on her own like that. Uh, and then there are other people who say, yeah, go for it, girl. You know, so, you know, get all kinds. Well, you know what? That's a sentiment with which we can all agree, Becky. So, Asla, <laughs> the, uh, the book is uh, Monty the Traveling Cat. Becky uh, uh, Maisner, uh, and if people want to find out more about this or, or purchase it, how can they do that, Becky? Okay, well, they can uh, order it if they Google www.montythetravelingcat.com. They can order it uh, through Ex Libris. They can also request it from their local bookstore, All right. like Barnes & Noble. I don't know what you have around there, but I'm sure you have Barnes & Noble around there. Yes. Or they can call Ex Libris, the publisher, at 888-795-4274. Four two seven four, and that's extension seven eight seven six. Excellent, Becky Maisner. The book is uh, uh, Monty the Traveling Cat. All right, continued uh, success, and uh, please pass our birthday wishes on to Tootsie, if you will, uh, or I'm to Monty rather. I'm, I'm sorry, to Monty. Yes, right. okay, I will. And I right. thank you for having you, me on your show. You have a fantastic day, Becky. You too. All right, bye bye. So much. There you go, Greg. Will you uh, speak with Becky in the? Make sure that everything uh, went went satisfactorily with that uh, interview. That's great. Wow. Get ready. Get ready for a fun and lesson-filled adventure across America with Monty the Traveling Cat. Here's the strange thing is that interview seemed to go by in the blink of an eye. It went by so quickly. Because you know what? That's clearly a woman who loves talking about that subject I and about the her. trip. I would like to have a cup of coffee with her. She seems, you know what? She seems like uh, like the kind of neighbor who would probably lend you uh, not just a cup of sugar, but it, probably like anything else you needed. Hacksaw, carpeting, whatever it is. Whatever she needed, and you know, she'd probably come over and actually uh, and actually show them how to use all those things too. Wow, that the, was a good interview. I liked it. It was, but I mean, <laughs> that story about how curiosity almost got the best nothing, of Monty. Nothing, nothing so really happened. There was no dramatic Monty. tension of any kind. And in it turned story. out he was. That's next why to you have to buy the book. <laughs> and then I looked outside, and there he was. And then he came on in, and we had some soup. I mean, that was that, that was really the story arc there. There was. There's no actual... Uh, uh, well, uh, you can't give it all away for free. You won't buy the book. <laughs> there, was no, there was no dramatic interplay of any kind there. Who had who there? You know what I, uh, you know what I didn't get to? Was I, I didn't get to uh, her top ten tips on traveling with pets. Maybe next time. I meant to... Here's so my... Monty get all the credit in the book. Yeah, Tootsie. Yeah, what about Tootsie? Tootsie's getting the shaft here. Tootsie's really... <laughs> maybe maybe Tootsie is in the next book. I should have I should have accused her of that. Maybe it'll really be just... traveling with Tootsie. I don't, I don't see anything about Tootsie. I'm just really yeah, unfairly kind of secondary. screwing Tootsie out of... Uh... And I couldn't remember if Tootsie was a boy or a girl dog. And it sounds like a girl dog, but you just, I, I'm unclear about it, so I just sort of had to bluff my way through by just saying Tootsie all the time instead of he or she. All right. Well, there you go. Just someone looking like Dustin Hoffman. Ugh. I I didn't uh, note here that it's a delightful Milo Milo and Otis esque story. It's spellbinding. Thrill the animal lovers in your audience. Hey, Greg, we should ask for a sample copy of this. Like, you should get a press copy. It probably is uh, only one that's been given away already. Yes. <laughs> All right, there you go. That was Becky Maisner. You can get one too if you call extension four seven nine two five four six. Author of Monty the Traveling Cat. All right. Well, there you go. I have to say, I think I pulled that off pretty well. I didn't even have to go to my backup question. Here's the thing. It, my, what was your backup question? My backup question was I was going to start asking clarifying queries about the interior of the motorhome and whether it was comfortable. 
You know, I like would imagine it, it would be. Like what sort of a mattress she had. You're going to ask her like her favorite kind of breakfast foods. I was. Did she have bumper stickers on it? Did she snap photographs of the animals in various places? Uh, did, uh, you know, does she have uh, pictures of the animals maybe with interesting folks that she met along the way, Charles Kuralt style? Well, there you go. That's a mystery guest, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we have Joel Hodgson of Mystery Science Theater 3000 fame. And uh, later on, Lisa Desjardins plus Tim Riley will have news for you. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. KUFO, Portland. Indeed, it is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. It's 503-228-4101. 503-228-4101. In mere moments, we'll be joined by one Joel Hodgson from Mystery Science Theater 3000 fame and more recently of Cinematic Titanic, which is going to be at the Newmark. Uh, That is May 29th and 30th. May 29th and 30th at the Newmark. Tickets still available. You go to cinematictitanic.com for details. And you saw that uh, the live performance of that in Seattle. I did. I saw it in Seattle. It was amazing. It was, yeah, it was hilarious. It's like watching, um, like a play and a movie all in one. It's uh, it's a, it's, a, it's an experience. It was very cool. As Lisa Simpson would say, it's a, it's an enigma inside a riddle inside a sweater. Exactly. That's what it is. Don't forget, sometime before the end of this hour, we're going to give away a copy of Max Fleischer's Superman 1941-1942 two disc collection on DVD uh, as well. Let's welcome now uh, to the Rick Emerson Show. Let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson Show, the man behind Cinematic Titanic, coming to the new mark on May 29th and the 30th. Also the creator of the famed Mystery Science Theater 3000, the one and only Joel Hodgson. Hello, sir. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? I am uh, fantabulous. Thank you for taking uh, some time out of uh, what is a pretty busy schedule to uh, to join us here. Um, this uh, this next step of taking the, the riffing on bad films and doing it in the form of a live uh, performance in front of an audience... My producer Sarah uh, saw the Seattle performance uh, recently, and just and it raved about how fantastic it was. And it seemed like a natural evolution. Was it was it something you'd done in the past ever, perhaps with Mystery Science Theater, or was this something that was born with Cinematic Titanic? Yeah, we did. We actually did it live once uh, in Minneapolis for a show, and um, it was it was pretty good i mean i think the problem for me was it's really weird to perform with your back to the audience it's kind of like you know how you're never supposed to turn your back on the ocean it's the same feeling when you uh perform with your back to the audience just to try to replicate the theater seats do you know what i mean in in mystery science theater so when we did cinematic titanic i I tried to rearrange it so we were kind of with our side to the audience so we can turn to the um, movie screen and turn back to the audience because that's kind of what the deal is is we're kind of sandwiched between the movie and the audience and kind of commenting and reacting to both and when you see the stage set up at least from the photos that i've seen it is sort of a it's a multi-tiered is the wrong way to put it but it does seem to be very a, a very elaborate layout so you are kind of flanking the screen um, but in a way that is in a way that is not visually obtrusive, so the audience can take in uh, you guys' silhouettes and the film all at once. But in a in a way that isn't uh, that isn't sort of off putting or, or or you know that doesn't get in the way of, of the filming experience. And it seems like a lot of a lot of work went into this. Somebody uh, told me that uh, the, your first live performance was actually at uh, it was at, it was at Lucasfilm. It was at Industrial Light of Magic. Yeah, it was really interesting how that worked because it's they have a group there that they get together once a month and riff on uh, 
on bad movies called Flex. And they wanted to, they had this kind of phony baloney award they created for, uh, for us because it was coming up on the 20th anniversary of Mystery Science Theater. And they called me and said, you want to come up and get this award? And I said, well, listen, we're like getting back together. We're going to be doing these live shows. Why don't we do it there? And so they have like obviously have incredible resources there, and they have a beautiful theater there. So we, uh, yeah, our very first show was at ILM, and uh, and it, uh, right away it, it really showed us um, a lot of things that we hadn't noticed before. Like for instance, we we got so many new jokes from just doing it live that. We had just recorded our first uh, DVD, and we went right back to the studio and re actually added a bunch of lines because so much happened when we were performing live. So we kind of learned, we all kind of met doing stand-up, and so we kind of learned that a different part of us kind of emerges than the part of us that does the studio shows. So it's been a big... Uh, it's been a really good tool as far as learning, you know, who we are kind of on stage and who we are now, you know, 10 years later you, after Mystery after Mystery Science Theater. You do seem to have a real affinity for for cheesy films of a, of a certain era. Do you, do you think that there was a specific slice of time that was sort of a bad film golden age? Well, it's that's a really good question. I think there's a funny thing that happened with there was a there was a definite point where monster movies kind of stopped and uh, kind of like uh, I think The Exorcist had a lot to do with it. Where in the mid '70s they started to do a lot of demon possession movies, kind of based on The Exorcist, because it's much cheaper than having a guy in a monster suit, right? If someone's just pretending they're possessed, all they have to do is just sort save of money there, yeah, flail around a bit. Yeah, exactly. And if you throw up, then you're good to go. And um, <laughs> and so I think um, th for some reason, those movies work really good for us, movies that have monsters in them. But, um, but really, it's based on cost. When we started, um, you know, about a, over a year ago, we were um, we didn't have any money. So we had to use movies that were really cheap. And so we're slowly like moving up the movie food chain. So we're starting to do movies from the 80s and the 90s, too. We're talking to Joel Hodgson of Cinematic Titanic, uh, and you can find out more about the upcoming shows, at the, which are going to be at the Newmark at, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at CinematicTitanic.com, the 29th and 30th. What films are you using on this tour? Because it's a different movie each night. So what are the, what are the two movies you're going to be riffing on? Yeah, Friday Night is a um, is really incredible movie, bad movie. It's called East Meets Watts, and it's a kung fu black exploitation movie where um, a kung fu martial arts expert and um, uh, a black guy are chained together, uh, kind of like the Defiant one, mm -hmm. um, and with Sid with Sidney Poitier and Tony Curtis. But about 20 minutes into it, they just give up on the whole handcuffed together thing, and they take them <laughs> off, and then it's just kind of a crummy movie after that. Uh, then, and then uh, Saturday night is a um, Filipino monster movie called Danger on Tiki Island, which may have the worst, um, you know, we've riffed on a lot of bad movies, but it could have the worst monster that we've ever seen.
I'm running this down right now. Danger on Tiki. I must Wikipedia this movie as soon as we're done. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, has there has there been, and you guys must get this request all the time uh, from fans, has there been any talk of occasionally revisiting uh, a classic, something you guys riffed on during the Mystery Science Theater era? Well, actually, yeah. We um, we did that last Christmas. We redid uh, Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. Excellent. So, um that was really interesting because, you know, right away it presents a challenge because each one of our movies has like 600 riffs to it. So you kind of look at it and go, are we going to repeat ourselves? And um, we were able to go in and, um, and do it again. And we, I think there were only about four jokes that were similar, and we, um, we took them all out but one just to, as a marker. We're talking with uh, Joel Hodgson. You can find out more about Cinematic Titanic at CinematicTitanic.com. The shows are May 29th and, and 30th. And from a giggling fanboy perspective, I, I have to ask this. Um, the first, I think, three episodes of Mystery Science Theater that you know that aired on, on KTMA, they've been called the, the missing episodes of the people. The completists have looked forever for these. Are there copies in existence somewhere? Like, like I don't need to have one as long as I know one exists in a vault somewhere and it's safe. Oh, you know, I haven't, I really, truly don't know about that. I mean, we did, the first one we did was the green slime, and that was really just a, um, a cell tape, so we never riffed on the whole movie. So that one, the only thing that exists of that is the cell tape that we cut together to kind of demonstrate to the people at KTMA what we were doing. And the other ones, I don't know, but, it, it, you know, it's possible, you know, we were just, it was all we could do. It's possible that they don't exist because all we could do at that time was to put the show together. And we weren't thinking uh, 20 years from now people would care. You were not so anticipating we, the preservation of your legacy, sir. No, we didn't at all. So it's really likely. I don't think those two exist. Otherwise, they would they would be out there, and but I, I don't know. And I have to say, actually, at the reference of at the mention of the green slime, uh, my news director Tim just uh, started uh, agitating uh, noticeably in his seat. I and went to see it when it actually came out. The, you saw the green slime in theaters? In the theater, uh, before multiplex theaters, and they actually gave away green slime to all kids in attendance that day. So like a William Castle thing, where you yeah. get, all attendees will be given a vial of goo. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Maybe somebody just had a cold. Let's find a way to dispose of it. Um, and just before we go, I, I want to ask you just uh, uh, sort of in a different path here. You had a, a recurring role on on Freaks and Geeks. You were the, uh, a, a clothing store owner, a, a, a discotheque loving uh, DJ. Um, how did that How did that come to happen? That you ended up working with Judd Apatow on Freaks and Geeks. Well, it's funny because I've known Judd since he was in high school. When I was a stand up. Um, Way before Mystery Science Theater, I was in New York, and this kid calls me from Long Island and says, hey, I got a radio show on my, at my high school, and can I come and interview you? And he, Judd and a couple of his friends came in with a tape recorder, and they interviewed me, and, uh, and that was that. And I didn't know that this guy was interviewing every comic that came into New York. And so he he was just already he's a very ambitious kid and he was already getting involved in getting to know all the comedians and uh, I later met him again through Gary Shandling and uh, he was working on Gary Shandling's show and um, he kind of reintroduced himself and we became friends so um, I've known Judd that long 
and also um, Paul Feig, who is the creator of Freaks and Geeks, is another good good friend of mine too. And so those guys just said, um, let's throw Joel a bone and put him in this role. But they did that to all our friends. I mean, basically the entire cast of uh, Freaks and Geeks are friends of ours, pretty much. Uh, and and really, I, I think uh, it probably uh, I would be drummed out of the radio uh, DJ guild if I did not uh, if I did not end this by asking the big obvious question. So, Joel, let's say you're actually marooned in space on a craft of some kind. What's the one movie you would take with you to watch over and over? I, I think I just I just saw Angels and Demons. I think that would be the the best new movie Excellent. to riff on. Excellent. Uh, CinematicTitanic.com is the website, and it's going to be two shows. It is at the Newmark, May 29th and 30th. All right. Uh, well, from uh, from all of us here, just continued uh, success uh, in life and art and all things, my friend. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you so much, and we can't wait to get to Portland. We've never been there, and uh, the tickets are selling really good, so we're looking, for, uh, looking forward to a really hot show. It'll be cool. All right. Thank you, my friend. We will see you there. That is Joel Hodgson of Cinematic uh, Titanic. Uh, you can find out more at CinematicTitanic.com, and... Uh, and the uh, tickets are still available. He was talking so. about with the um, the black dude and the uh, kung fu dude chained together. That's the one I saw in Seattle. Was it awesome? It is so bad. Yeah. It was epic. It, it was hilarious to watch. I love bad movies where they get, as he said, about 20 minutes in and they realize that like they can't sustain the concept of the gimmick, so they just give up. And no, then it just becomes some totally, totally different it's film. Like, it's like an awkward black exploitation film. Like I, it's, I am there. But it's just like it's so offensive to like to everyone. Everyone, <laughs> it holds. Yeah, genius. No, no bars hold there. All right, uh, let's do this. We'll get caught up. Uh, seeing a radio correspondent, Lisa Desjardins, joining us, as well as Tim Riley, with a uh, smattering of news for you out there in Radioland. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Pick up the phone and call 1-800-344-KUFO. I was going to tell them they could also rob them and stick them in their coin. This is the Rick Emerson Show. It is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. I can't get over the fact that you saw the green slime in theaters. Yeah. Was it awful? Yes, but, but it was a great thing on a hot day, and they were giving away green slime. <laughs> There's green slime and air conditioning. Uh, I've done. I've totally done that where you go to movies, not because the movie's any good, but because it does say it has like the words air conditioned with like the ice forming over the font or whatever. I don't remember anything about the movie, but I do remember it's a hot day and they gave away green slime. <laughs> Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill, herself covered in uh, a slime of news and information. Uh, CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hey, and 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 that 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 feels true. Yes. Is it? Uh, ah, never mind. I was going to make a dumb okay. joke, but we'll just. Uh, we'll, it, was we'll, a, it was a good. It was a good recovery on that one. Or good. It was good. That's right. Well, good. I was. We were just talking with. Uh, with I say uh, already reveling in how great we are. Uh, I was just talking to Joel Hodgson, who was the, uh, the creator and original host of Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Oh, awesome! He was. He was really unbelievably cool, and uh, he was noting that the very first movie they riffed on. Way back when at KTMA was this uh, movie called The Green Slime, and Tim Riley noted that he in turn saw that in the theaters. He actually saw the theatrical release, and no, they gave wow, and, and they gave away small bottles of slime to children. So there you go, <laughs> fantastic. Here's the thing I like: I like it when they say that things are reaching a new level of some kind, because I like to think that that means we're just moments away from open fisticuffs. So, uh, what about the healthcare debate is reaching a new level, and will there be violence? I doubt violence yeah. in public. Uh, there may be some violence behind the scenes in Washington on the healthcare debate because it is getting 
pretty intense. But today, I know this is, you know, if, if you didn't have other things to do, I know this is where all of your listeners would be. Uh, senators are spending the entire day debating health care options. You know, and it sounds like, oh, okay, great, you know, your eyes glaze over. But today is different because this is when they are laying out the options for how to pay for the sucker, how to pay, how to find the trillions of dollars that are going to be needed uh, up front, essentially, or the first few years to change the health care system. And this includes a very wide variety of options that they're going to be debating today. Um, everything from mandating that each person must have insurance, which would save money, you know, because of the uh, having a huge group that would sign on, or they're seriously talking about raising the tax on alcohol, some forms of alcohol, or on drinks like Gatorade, sugary drinks that they say aren't good for you. Maybe they'll raise taxes on that. These are all the things that they're talking about today to try and figure out where they're going to find the money. I, you know, I have such mixed feelings about that because occasionally they'll talk about this so-called like fat tax, uh, you know, where they they put some sort of a like a tax on I don't know deep fried Twinkies or you know fish sticks or something, and. I mean, I, can, I guess I can under, sort of understand where that comes from because it does probably contribute to the fatifying uh, of America and to heart disease and so forth. On the other hand, I, I just sort of uh, I look at my own diet and I realize it's going to add like a twenty percent surcharge onto my entire existence, basically, <laughs> because everything I eat is either deep fried or like you know just uh, rolled in chocolate chips. So right, it's going to require a commitment. You know, America, how much do you love your fat? You know, and some people say I love it a lot. <laughs> You know, other people say, eh, I don't love it that much. Uh, really? It's, it's that, that, I guess that's how it goes. I think all one has to do is really look around the average mall food court, and uh, you'd find that about 94% of the people are in the, I love it a lot. I love it category. so much. I love it so much. You know, I don't know that, I don't think that the tax on, like, sugary drinks or alcohol, that's, those are probably not at the top of the list. It's something they're looking at, and they may make a little bit of money off of that, and especially the alcohol tax, because different types of alcohol are taxed different ways, and they might do just kind of one blanket tax. But I, I think the, they're more seriously getting into this issue of should everyone be mandated to have health care or should right now, for example, if you have an employee, a health care plan through your, through your job, then the money that you pay to that isn't taxed. It comes out of your paycheck tax-free. Most folks uh, know that. Congress is saying, well, maybe it shouldn't be tax-free. Maybe we should tax that, and then you pay it, and we'd get money that way, and it would contribute to this better health system. Um, but, of course, you know, each one of these ideas somebody doesn't like. And, you know, so all the big alcohol is up here, you know, big Gatorade is up here uh, saying these are all, these are bad ideas. <laughs> big Gatorade. It is, big Gatorade sounds like a spin-off product, like a gum of some kind. <laughs> It doesn't surprise me that I know we're just treading on just the most trite observational ground here, but it doesn't surprise me that Congress's solution is to find something that has not yet been taxed and find a way to tax it. Find a way to squeeze uh, some money off of sports beverages. Yeah. All right. On that note, it is uh, always a pleasure, and uh, we will talk to you very soon. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins. Have a great day, Lisa. Hey, you too. All right. Thank you, Lisa Desjardins. Kids. All right. They can do it to smokers. Keep on taxing them. They never complain. No, they don't, Tim. <laughs> Uh, straight ahead, more pithy observations and news that you cannot possibly use. To quote Drew Curtis, Tim Riley is uh, straight ahead on The Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. So let it be done. 
Let's talk about one of our proud partners here on the Rick Emerson Show. That is Secret Artvark Abanero Hot Sauce. Okay, so I have today, this is the completely uh, uh, coincidence, just came in today, 7.18 a.m. I got this email. This is this morning. This is from Jenny. Jenny emails the subject line of this email, uh, Secret Artvark, and she says, Last night was taco night in our family. Taco night is a glorious night. It's like pizza day. Sunday night was always taco night in oh, my family. Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, said my husband called me and said he had, quote, a surprise for me. When I got home, I discovered that surprise was not one, but two bottles of secret aardvark habanero hot sauce. I carefully opened the bottle and put a little bit of my finger and tasted it. Wow, it is hot and delicious. I put it on everything. I'm going to give a bottle to a friend of mine who's a real hot sauce connoisseur and see if I can win him over. Thanks for spreading the word about this hot and tasty stuff, Jenny. So there you go, a completely unprompted... Uh, unsolicited email uh, from Jenny that is from uh, this morning. So she had that last night uh, for the first time ever. And you know what? It, 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 it just is fantastic. And it's going to become the most frequently used sauce, uh, spice, condiment in your house. You have my word on that. You find out more about it at secretardvark.com. It's a Portland recipe. It's a Portland company. And it is, as she says, hot and delicious. It is spicy. It is flavorful. And it goes good with everything. It goes good. It goes good with everything. <laughs> it doesn't sound good. It goes good with your uh, strunken white guide to grammar and speaking. Jesus. Secret Aardvark Abanero Hot Sauce. You can find them more at secretardvark.com. It is one sauce to rule them all. The Rick Emerson Show returns. Oh, yeah. No, she's, uh, no, yeah, no. Daddy, daddy likes her. Ew. This is Rock 101 KUFO. <laughs> it is the Rick Emerson Show. It's Rock 101 KUFO. Coming up in mere moments, Tim Riley at the uh, news desk. And uh, coming up at 9, Smells Like the 90s with our good friend Buzz. Join us tomorrow on The Rick Emerson Show when our guests will include Kelly Clark from the Willamette Week and Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Right now, we will take uh, caller 10 at 503-228-4101. Caller 10 at 503-228-4101. For a copy of Max Fleischer's Superman 1941-1942 two-disc collection on DVD. Faster than a streak of lightning, more powerful than the pounding surf. The Amazing Stranger from Krypton, A Man of Steel Superman, featuring 17 action-packed vintage theatrical cartoons on DVD. This official release also features remastered original film elements from the Warner Brothers vault. That is uh, the Max Fleischer Superman collection on DVD. Call our 10 at 503-228-4101. At the news desk, your personal savior, Tim Riley. In the news with Tim Riley. Come on and get your free house. Yes, a free house on Craigslist is not a scam. A Portland man is giving away the house. But you need to be able to move it. That's the clincher. James Bennett is rebuilding in southwest Portland and is offering up his old home for free in Craigslist. They'll make a nice house up in the hills somewhere, some unincorporated area. For years, he planned to rebuild where his home currently stands, but he doesn't want to uh, send the old home to a landfill. So he's giving away the house. I... Uh, the house was built for Vanport during World War II, and he moved it uh, to where it was in the 1950s. He hopes to find a taker. So this is like what, June. when somebody has a lot of dirt in their driveway, and if you can haul it away, you can have it, but it's not dirt so much as it is a whole home. Correct. All right. Uh, Salem Dry Cleaner is giving away free dry cleaning to the unemployed. If you go to a job interview, the cleanery. Uh, so far, the uh, the offer is attracting few 
few people because, well, people aren't going on job interviews. Dry cleaner. I barely knew her. I'm sorry. That's to make up for the fact that when you're talking about the host and you said the clincher, and I, I failed, I had my sound turned off, so I wasn't able to do the uh, uh, clincher. I barely knew her. Um, hey, the, well, that is a that is a variation on something we were talking about the other day where I was on, somebody sent me a photograph, and I think it was from another city, so this must be a spreading idea, mm-hmm. where it said free dry cleaning if you are going to job interview. But as you noted... I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying it's it's being done for this reason, but I mean, it, it in a weird way, it's, it's kind of a great thing for the dry cleaner because they look cool, but they don't have to actually follow through on it because, as you said, no one's being interviewed because there are no jobs. So here's Tim Riley. Teenage hoodlums are threatening a neighborhood in Longview. Apparently, a group of boys is going on a rampage of mischief. One woman complained they threw dirt in my five-year-old son's face, stolen from her, and damaged her car. Then they broke a man's garage windows, and they threw rocks at another boy. Looks like a 12-year-old is the mastermind behind this. He needs to be punished. Who so, can disagree? Sounds like that community needs its own Bernard Getz, Tim Riley. Mm-hmm. Washington's unemployment rate leveling off at 9.1%, but don't tell that to the people of Clark County. Their unemployment rate bigger than all of Oregon at 13.4%. Now, was that the highest in the country? Did we ever figure out what the new figures were for, for Detroit well, from Michigan? It's still high there. I'm not sure what they are. But but they're still number one. They're number one. <laughs> well, everybody has to be number one at something. And Clark County is number one, at least for Washington, as and as compared to Oregon. Meanwhile, $16 million has to be kept from the Portland school budget in the coming year. That means, kids, 15 days will be kept from school, but that'll make you stupider. And 210 teachers are being laid off. I wonder if we did, Well, teachers are already... I mean, I, here's the thing. I go to say this, but I realize, even as I open my mouth, I'm saying this just because it's a thing that everybody says and you're just supposed to repeat it. And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Sarah, your mom is a teacher. She that, is. I was about to open my mouth and go, well, you know, teachers are so overburdened now, what with the huge class sizes and all. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not, but I realize I don't really know. That's just something you're supposed my to say. My mom's class is huge, and they don't have any funding, so she has to like go and pay for the school supplies herself. Really? See, that oh, sucks. Yeah, she, goes, that is just, she goes and buys markers and pens and paper, I mean, out of her own pocket after she doesn't even make that much money, but she... Pays for the supplies for the students because the school and you know it doesn't have a budget. Such for it. crap! It's hard to believe that we're raising an entire country of criminals and morons. Yeah. So what should we do? Just, just cut the few remaining teachers we have, cut their salary, fire some of them, and then have fewer school. To, which, by the way, let's just on a purely practical level, just means that these moronic criminal students are now going to be out on the streets for 15 additional days, throwing dirt in people's faces and menacing yes. me with a screwdriver. So it because really. Here's the thing. You're either there to learn or you're there to be kept off the streets so you're not smashing my car windows. And either way, if you're let go for two weeks, that's just bad news for the rest of us. There's just no getting around that. Good God almighty. You know what they do with the bad kids in Ireland? No. They send them to reform schools that are run by the Roman Catholic Church, which is a bad idea. They found out that thousands of these bad kids have been beaten and raped by these uh, Catholic priests. Yes, this news came out. More than 30,000 deemed petty thieves, truants from dysfunctional families, were sent to a system run by Catholic priests and nuns since the 1920s. And they were systematically beaten every day, and many were raped. Systematically implies that there's some sort of a conveyor belt. Yes. Uh, you know? <laughs> Although the girls were a little bit better off in the, uh, in the places run by the Sisters of Mercy. They did Sisters have a little of, bit of mercy, but not but not as much as the place that did not. Not of the uh, not as much the at the you know the uh, fathers of our perpetual buggery, uh, which is where things were going a lot worse. So expect uh, tens of lawsuits in, in, in the country, which is 
Roman Catholic. Jesus. All right. Well, I guess we could have. That's an outcome that maybe uh, one can see now as being a little obvious. Maybe uh, maybe back then it didn't seem quite so apparent that that was uh, that was mm. all going to end, uh, w- you know, with uh, with the unpleasantness. Well, a drunken lady in New Mexico made problems worse for herself when she kicked the, uh, she kicked the cop on the groin. 28-year-old Katrina Cavesa was pulled over recently in Albuquerque, stopped in the middle of the road. She uh, Apparently, she got out of the car without shoes, and she was also talking on her cell phone. She was taken to the station for a blood test and then slipped out of her cuffs before hitting the officer in the eye and kicking him in the groin. You know, that's going to end. That doesn't end well for anybody. It doesn't end no. well for the cop because the cop ends up, you know, in pain and having to do a lot of paperwork. And the paperwork is because he's tased you in the face because you decided to kick him in the groin. If you kick a cop in the groin, he's going to do something extremely painful to you, probably multiple times, and all the other cops, and in fact, all of us will agree that you had it coming. It just ends up being a big hassle for everybody involved. Just don't be a jackass. A feisty Florida woman who's 78 beat her husband over an old affair. That's a woman where? where? Florida. Okay, mine didn't even fire. Yes. I pressed the button That's and nothing mine happened. Did. Whatever. So uh, she's 78, he's 84, so he's still uh, frisky at his age. She believed he was cheating on her several times. Uh, then she hit him with a bowl, a pipe, and a carpet sweeper. He now has broken wi- ribs, pelvis, and wrist. <laughs> it's like, which one goes to what body part? <laughs> Seriously. She beat him with a with a pipe, a bowl, and a carpet sweeper? That's correct, yes. <laughs> What's a carpet sweeper? Oh, she also kicked him uh, three times in the groin in the past six months. Carpet sweeper, I think, is one of those things. It's like a... Is it like a... I say making the noise. It makes no sense. A hokey. Isn't that what they're called? A what? Oh, you think of a hookah. That's no. a smoking instrument. Uh, you know, it's like a vacuum cleaner, but it's not plugged like the into anything. Ones. Yeah, but yeah. It's a hokey. at the end of a stick yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that you push it along. This makes no sense. If you don't know what we're talking, like if you are perhaps a transplant from another culture and don't know what we're talking about, it makes no sense. That's a that's a thing that we all know. We can all visualize it in our head, but you can't really explain it. But it's the thing on the end of a handle, and it goes bum 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 bum. But you push it over the carpet back and forth. All right. And of course, our top story today: Paul Abdul <laughs> has concocted this story. That she was involved in a flaming plane crash and then walked away. Yes, it's true. I was on tour, and in like the end of '93, um, it, it I was uh, leaving. It was on my birthday too. I was leaving St. Louis, and I was on a seven-seater private plane. I was going to Denver, and close to 40 minutes into the air. Um, one of the engines blew up, and the right wing caught on fire, and we plummeted, and I broke through my seatbelt and smashed my head on top of the plane. I was knocked out when I came to. Everyone was holding hands. The entire plane was in flames. Half the other engine blew, and the co-pilot crash-landed us in a cornfield in Iowa. I know. That, there's so much going on with that. There really <laughs> is. It's very creative. And here's my question. So they're all holding hands while the plane was on fire after something exploded. In a cornfield in, a corn in Iowa. After the co-pilot crash-landed the plane. Even mm-hmm. though Iowa says there haven't been any plane crashes there since 1990, and, in fact, we deduced that going from St. Paul to, to Denver. Flat. <laughs> and there, it wouldn't even take you over Iowa. Also, she makes it easier to debunk by noting that it was on her birthday. So, <laughs> like, she tells us exactly what day to check. Uh, also, I've made this observation before, but it's 2009. Why is that soundbite... Why does it sound like that soundbite is coming to us from an Edison talkie? Was she? It sounded like she was calling into a radio station or something. Wasn't but, she? I thought she was on the phone. Yeah, but you know, like we just talked to somebody on the phone like five minutes ago and it sounded fine. That sounds like it's coming off a 78 that's being played in your grandmother's Victrola. So I'm wondering if that is an old, like was that interview just conducted? Or is that from it maybe... It was just conducted. 
So it's not from when she was still high or something. That, I don't know if she was still high during this. No, she was yeah, just admitting possible. to it now. So anyway, well, it seems like that's a thing. That, don't you want to like just put her on television under some hot lights and then and, and just, just figuratively, you know, with your word, verbally beat the truth out of her about that? That's the sort of thing that bugs me for some reason. Like there's a, And I think I speak for all of us here. There's a disproportionate amount of irritation I have over something like that because because that's so clearly just made up. And here's the thing that irritates me. Not that like we're any great journalistic uh, standard bearers here. But if you go to Google News, there's like 749 newspapers that have just reprinted that like idiots without bothering to look into it. That's Talking one about for, how she was actually in the plane crash? Yeah, it's like one thing for us to do it because we're just, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just nitwits. Okay. But I mean, then there was a VH1 story that says in the first <laughs> line, and she spoke about her plane crash without even bothering to investigate further that this is well, not a true story. They're obviously. all busy investigating Cheeto Jesus's. All right. Seamus has like a great. So he's like, "Are you sure that Paul Abdul didn't just look up the plot summary for the movie Fearless that came out in 1993?" <laughs> and I'm looking at it, it's like after a terrible airline crash, a survivor emerges a changed person. Totally, she's racked with fear and guilt. I mean, if you were engulfed, this is the same year, so maybe she got a little confused. And I mean, if there's other people on the plane, wouldn't you remember being engulfed in flames? Yeah, I That's think a, I would. You'd circle that in your calendar. If everyone was sitting in there holding hands as the plane was on fire. I think maybe somebody else should come forward. And also, Paula Abdul was there. So it Thanks. seems. Somebody quick, grab a SkyMall calendar. I, I <laughs> all right. Anywho, uh, all right. Well, that about does it for us, friends and neighbors. I believe so. Let's all investigate right. this Paula Abdul story some more, though. We have to. All right. Uh, we want to thank Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum and Lisa Desjardins, as well as Peter Carlin from The Oregonian. Uh, uh, we want to thank. Becky Maislins? Ma- Mace- Maisner, author of the book Bucky's Big Trip. <laughs> also, Joel Hodgson from Cinematic Titanic. That is CinematicTitanic.com. Uh, join us tomorrow when our guests will include Mr. Skin uh, from MrSkin.com, Kelly Clark from the Willamette, and from the San Diego Zoo, Joan Embry. Rick Emerson, jo- show produced today and every day with all the talented Sarah Stone for Rock 101 KUFO in the newsroom. Tim Riley on the phones. Greg Nibbler at the front desk. Dave Zinn is the gatekeeper. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. CBS Radio Portland Marketing Guru Susan Donat with me. Reynolds, executive producer Christopher J. Paddock. Smells like the 90s is next. It is Wednesday, uh, May 20th, 2009, and that is the frequency. Kenneth, thank you for listening. Be safe. See you all tomorrow. Bye now. I barely knew her. Attention broadcasters in the greater Portland area, your daily show prep is now concluded. Thank you for listening.